call this Monday, March 14th, 2022 meeting of the Board of Selectmen to order. This open meeting of the board is being conducted remotely consistent with Governor Baker's executive order of June 16, 2021, an act relative to extending certain COVID-19 measures adopted during the state of emergency. All members of the board are allowed and encouraged to participate remotely. The order allows the board to meet entirely remotely so long as reasonable public access is afforded so that the public can follow along with the deliberations of the meeting. The public is encouraged to follow along using the posted agenda, which can be found on our website. Members of the public who wish to view the live stream of this meeting may do so by going to the Northborough Remote Meetings uh, button on the town uh, webpage. Uh, you'll find the link there that will take you to the YouTube link. Also posted on our agenda is the link for the YouTube stream, the link for the Zoom webinar, the phone number to call in onto the uh, Zoom webinar by audio only. And this is also being uh, carried by local uh, cable access television government channels, Verizon 30 and Charter 192. Ensuring public access does not ensure public participation unless such participation is required by law, this meeting will feature public comment. Now I'd like to confirm the connectivity of the board members who are participating in the meeting this evening. Members, when I call your name, please unmute and respond in the affirmative. I am Jason Perot, Chairman. Uh, Leslie Rattan, Vice Chair. Yeah. Scott Rogers, Clerk. Present. Julianne Hirsch, member. Here. And Kristen Wickstead, member. Present. Thank you. Uh, now I'd like to check the connectivity of staff members participating in our meeting this evening. Staff members, when I call your name, please unmute and respond in the affirmative. Town Administrator John Coderre. Present. Assistant Town Administrator Becca Meekins. Present. Public Works Director Scott Charpentier. Present. Police Chief William Liver. Present. We also have uh, Lieutenant Brian Griffin. Present. And Fire Chief and our Zoom host for the evening, David Parenti. Uh, present. Thank you very much. Uh, just to cover the ground rules for the meeting, as chair, I will invite each speaker or applicant on the agenda to make their presentation and speak to their application. Participants will provide their full name. Each speaker will be asked to mute their phone or computer when not speaking. When speaking, please speak clearly and in a way that helps generate accurate meeting minutes. Those responding will be asked to wait until the floor is yielded to them by the chair. Speakers who wish to respond to the comments of others, please request to do so through the chair. And each vote taken by the board or committee will be conducted by a roll call. Uh, I will hold the description of how to participate in public comment opportunities until we reach the first one for the evening, and I believe that takes care of our preliminaries and we can proceed with the agenda. First item is the approval of the February 28, 2022 meeting minutes. Do I have a motion? Yes, Mr. Chair. I move we vote to approve the meeting minutes from February 28, 2022. Uh, moved by Scott Rogers, seconded by Leslie Rattan. Any discussion? Leslie. Jason, I just have one uh, amendment, actually. Um, under my reports, um, it's stated there that I attended a regional school committee meeting. It was actually a joint special meeting of the Northborough School Committee and the Southborough School Committee. Very good. Thank you, Leslie. Uh, members, any other comments? 
seeing none, uh, the motion to approve as uh, amended. This is a roll call vote. Uh, Kristen Wickstead. Aye. Julianne Hirsch. Aye. Scott Rogers. Aye. Leslie Rattan. Aye. And I, Jason Perot, vote aye. Carries unanimously. It's past the hour of 7 p.m. and we have a public hearing to consider a petition as submitted by New Singular Wireless PCS LLC doing business as AT&T for a grant of location for a small wireless facility on a replacement utility pole near 170 Hudson Street. And I had a Michael Dolan and he just disappeared. He was the gentleman I was supposed to bring in. I see him. Uh, let me see if I can. Uh, here he is. Hello, how are you? Can everyone Hello, hear Mr. Dolan? Yes, uh, yes, I believe we can. Uh, is it just you, Mr. Dolan? Anyone else with you? It is just me. Okay, very good. Um, we have the uh, application uh, that was submitted um, for this uh, uh, facility at 170 Hudson Street. Would you care to speak to the application? Sure, so let me introduce myself. My name is Michael Dolan from the law firm of Brown Rudnick uh, in Boston. I'm here on behalf of the applicant, New Singular Wireless, otherwise more commonly known as AT&T. Uh, my client has uh, FCC licenses to operate a wireless telecommunications network throughout the country, including here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. AT&T is proposing at the uh, Hudson Street location, a small cell antenna installation on a replacement utility pole uh, in order to deal with rapidly increasing demand on its network. Uh, the small cell facility will be mounted on a replacement national grid utility pole in the public right away. AT&T engineers targeted this location uh, due to high data demands on its network. What's happening is the existing macro antenna sites that AT&T has, which are the large eight foot type antennas on the tops of buildings and telecommunications towers and the water towers and the like, uh, are not covering these targeted areas. We have two here tonight. Uh, and these small cell facilities allow uh, my client to put in a uh, small antenna, which will provide a, uh, a level of coverage in this area, uh, a much smaller footprint than let's say one of the larger macro sites, but sufficiently uh, sizable to cover this uh, gap in coverage they're having right there. The facility consists of a 24 and a half inch by uh, long by 14.7 uh, diameter uh, antenna at the top of the replacement utility pole. Uh, there's also an equipment cabinet mounted to the pole. Uh, that's 44 inches by 21 by 20. Um, that's mounted 12 feet, nine inches above ground. And then there's uh, some fiber optic cables, um, also involved as well as a electric meter shutoff, which is eight feet uh, off the ground uh, to the bottom of the uh, shutoff. Uh, in short, this site will uh, enable AT&T 
to handle more data at faster speeds with better and more reliable coverage, which is what our customers uh, in this area of North Borough are uh, demanding. Uh, so we're able to meet that need and are uh, respectfully seeking a grant of location tonight uh, for the authority to uh, uh, install this facility on the uh, pole within the right of way. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Dolan. Um, I'd also like to ask, um, well, I'll, I'll note that we have the, uh, uh, the letter from our town engineer, Fred Litchfield, um, who's examined the application and has a recommendation to, uh, to approve with appropriate uh, protections in place uh, with police details while the work is being conducted. Um, members of the board, would you like to uh, ask any questions? Uh, Scott Rogers. Yeah, uh, hi, Mr. Dolan, thanks for joining us tonight. A question uh, related to one of the coverage maps and that it looks like there might be a potential of a third site if I'm if I'm reading that right, that is correct. There is a third th a third site on Main Street uh, that was contemplated, and that may or may not happen. But it's not part of our applications here tonight. Okay, that clarifies why I saw three three spots. Thank on you. The Thank you. Uh, board members, anything else? Uh, Seeing that, I would just like to uh, just make note of some uh, particular items. We did receive a, uh, a memo submitted by a planning board member, Amy Paretsky, who um, was inquiring about the review process. Uh, we want to note here that um, the application for these two this evening uh, were received back in December and there is a 90 day clock attached to that at that submission. And so we're approaching the end of the 90 days and uh, We'll need to take action on this, uh, these uh, two petitions here tonight. Um, also like to note that uh, there are certain uh, FCC regulatory uh, provisions in effect that uh, we're obligated to, uh, to honor. Um, in particular, uh, there has been uh, some concerns expressed about wireless technologies and potential harmful effects, uh, health effects and everything. Uh, those regulations expressly prohibit us from delaying or denying uh, uh, approval of this uh, on the basis of health considerations. Uh, so long as the uh, equipment and the proposal uh, meets all of the uh, regulatory requirements of uh, FCC, Mass Department of Health, et cetera, uh, uh, those are the only provisions um, that, are, that are required to be honored here. Um, Anything more from members of the board? Uh, Julianne Hirsch. Yeah, so um, so we did get an email from a planning board member about, um, you know, why this is coming before us and not them. And, and I understand that this is all very new and since it's the first time we haven't experienced this before. So I guess this is something we're going to have to figure out at a later date. But um, to, to Mr. Mr. Dolan, it, have you seen any of these? Like when, when these apparatuses are put on the pole, is it 
is, is it kind of a shocking thing? Like, does it look big? Does it, do you blend it into the pole? How does that? So the, the antenna itself on the top of the pole is in line and linear with the pole. Uh, the equipment box attached to the side is, uh, you know, the, the closest thing I could correlate it to is uh, uh, a transformer type box that you'd typically see on a utility pole. I'm not so sure anyone would look at this and think it's uh, anything but what, you know, we're, we're used to now seeing on certain utility poles. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, as I said at the outset, we're, we're pleased that we're able to uh, install these on uh, these poles without having to propose new towers and the like uh, for larger antennas, uh, because these are minimally uh, intrusive from an aesthetic standpoint. Oh, I, I, I agree. Um, and, but, but you are going to replace the pole, right? We don't do that. The utility does that. The utility does that. Okay. And, and there was, uh, you know, I have to confess, this is a lot of terminology that's new to me. Um, so, so there was something in it that said that, that there might be change orders. If there's change orders, does that just happen? Does it come before us again or? Any change order relates to the installation of the pole uh, and, and the movement of the existing antennas and appurtenances to the pole, that's an issue for the utility and nothing would change our uh, facility. If it were to change at all, we'd have to come back to you for a separate approval. That's more a uh, part of the make ready process with the pole. Um, and I believe we're all squared away for that anyway. So uh, that shouldn't be an issue. Okay, thank you. Sure. Thank you, Julianne. Uh, Leslie, did you have a question? Yes. Um, so do you feel that these locations uh, appropriately fill the, the gap as far as what is needed, um, that they're at um, convenient locations in terms of the poles? And does it perhaps negate the need to put more elsewhere? Do you feel that this really satisfies the coverage needs? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, so it's a collaboration at the outset. Let me just say it's a collaboration we have with the utility where we'll go to them and we'll say, hey, we've got an issue in this particular area. Do you have any polls available to us that we could go on? Because they're certain that they say, nope, you can't go there. We don't get to pick where we go. We give them a general area and then they tell us which poll. But as far as the coverage of our entire network, uh, you know, Right now, AT&T is targeting these uh, high areas of need, such as these two uh, proposed sites in Northborough. Um, I can just say by way of example, we've got them right now in Westborough, Marlboro, Southborough, Hopkinton, Worcester, Framingham. We've got them in over almost 70 cities and towns in Massachusetts. Several hundred of them, several hundred have already been permitted and are about to be built. Uh, so they, they are um, uh, an effective tool to address coverage needs. And in Northborough, I think the plan is that these two uh, and perhaps that third site that uh, Mr. Rogers pointed out could conceivably come into the fold. I'm not sure where that one stands right now. But for now, that's seen as uh, the primary objective for coverage in Northborough. Um, you know, they've got a lot of... Uh, 
priority sites AT&T does throughout the Commonwealth. So is it the last time they might come back? I, I can't say that. I, you know, who knows, they may come back again in the future for another site or two. I, I just don't know. So I don't want to make any uh, statements on that. But for now, uh, this seems to be the targeted uh, locations for Northborough. And, you know, I, I've been doing this now for almost three years, and we're just getting to Northborough. Uh, certain areas of the state get prioritized for different reasons. So, you know, if you get a sense that over three years, we've just gotten to these two here, I think it'll give you a feel for what the future looks like over the next three or four years. Uh, likewise, as far as needs for AT&T and Northboro. Okay, okay. So you're not, these sites have not been picked with the mindset that it's kind of a phased approach to then putting one in at the location that Slugman Rogers mentioned. That's not necessarily the case. That, that, I'm sorry, that not, that's not what? Necessarily the case. Yes, yeah, so the, with these sites, I can't say that Northboro is blanketed with perfect coverage. Um, and I think any of you who have AT&T would probably say, yeah, there are certain areas where it could be better. If and when AT&T gets to those spots to address them, it conceivably could be handled by another small cell site, or there could be a new macro opportunity with a new tower or the like that it could be achieved that way. But for now, for AT&T's RF needs, these were the primary locations in Northborough where there was uh, a recognized need, and these facilities are addressed to, uh, are designed to uh, address that. Okay, thank you very much. Sure. And uh, I'd just like to also note the application includes a uh, um, submission by a uh, independent uh, certified health physicist, Donald Hayes, who uh, does all of the analysis with respect to the electromagnetic field and uh, transmission power and the like to determine a worst case uh, uh, circumstance of exposure, if you want to call it that, uh, and finds that uh, this uh, uh, proposal um, in the worst case circumstance uh, falls within all of the regulatory uh, requirements and constraints. Uh, anything else from members of the board? Seeing none, this is a public hearing. Um, if you are connected by the Zoom webinar and you wish to be heard on this topic, you can use the webinar facility to raise your hand. I do not see anyone connected by phone. Um, for people who wish to be heard, uh, we will bring you in. We'll first ask you to state your full name and address, and then you will have uh, three minutes to uh, make, ask your question or present your concern. Uh, first up, I have uh, Laura Zeiten. Bring you in, Laura. Hello, Laura. You're muted. Sorry, Laura, still me? muted. There you are. Yes, Sorry. gotcha. Yep. Sorry about that. Laura Zeiten, 17 Franklin Circle. 
Um, I just want to say I'm disappointed that this is the first that we're hearing of this um, when the application was dated back in December. I've followed cell towers for a long time in Northborough, and I've watched, you know, deliberations take, you know, many, many meetings where we've gone through all of the different, you know, we've looked at aesthetics, we've looked at coverage maps, we've looked at, you know, alternative options like co-locating. You know, I'd like to know why there wasn't more notice or we could have really figured out what the plan is for these. And I know that in the planning board meetings, when this was going through, that they were looking at ways to replace towers by having a layout plan for these antennas. It's something they've been discussing for, for years. So I'm just disappointed that we're doing this so quickly. And was co-location even considered? There's the police department tower, you know, it's, it's less than a mile away. Well, I can't speak to the uh, preference of a police department uh, location compared to an existing, what is currently an existing utility pole uh, that will be replaced and enhanced to accommodate this additional uh, um, wireless transmission uh, unit. Yeah, I, I can speak to that from an RF standpoint sure. that there are no existing structures uh, that would achieve the same coverage that we're desiring here. Uh, including at the uh, police station? Well, I feel like this is really short-sighted and we didn't have enough time to raise awareness for people to participate in this. And we really have no choice because with the way these applications work, if we don't approve it within this meeting, then we're stuck with it anyway. So as a board, it would be really helpful if in the future you address these things in a more timely manner so that we can really vet out all the options. That's all. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Uh, anyone else? We have Lisa Maselli, bringing you in, Lisa. Uh, good evening, Jason. Lisa Maselli, 13 Maple Street. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm just, uh, I know we're on the first one on Hudson Street at 170. Um, where is that actually in relationship to while we're looking at the road? Is it closer to Main Street? Is it closer to River Street? What's the actual location of that one? Yes, uh, Public Works Director Scott Charpentier can answer that. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. So there's a utility pole uh, currently located in front of the old pump station that is on the downtown side of the aqueduct, opposite of the Aspet Riverside. So um, it's um, south side of the aqueduct, west side of the road. So it's past where the big electrical area is? Like past, um, um, right at the end of Allen Street, I think you mean. Yeah, that, that would be that would be Allen Street. That would be the other side of the aqueduct. This is on the on the towns the downtown side of the aqueduct. Oh, so there's close. A, to um, there's an old pump station adjacent to the aqueduct. Okay. Uh, the pole is uh, pretty much right in front of that. Okay. And then again, um, I'm a visual. There's no pictures or anything to what these look like. It's just straight vertical <laughs> poles. Um, how high up what's the top of the pole now 12 feet 20 feet 40 feet uh mr dolan do you want to reply to sure, that sure uh at um let's see at hudson street the uh existing pole um 
The replacement pole will have a top height of 38 feet, six inches. Uh, the existing pole has a top height of 23 feet, 11 inches. So we have a, we have a, a building height of 35 feet, is that right? Um, so it's going to be over the building height by a couple of feet. The, the pole also carries a lot of other uh, electrical and uh, communications lines and the requirement for this technology requires to be displaced four feet from those lines. So that accounts for the requirement for the increased height of the pole. Okay. Um, okay, well, thank you very much. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, anyone else from the public who wish to offer comment on this uh, petition? And seeing none, uh, do I have a motion to close the public hearing? Yes, Mr. Chair, I move we vote to close the public hearing. For, okay. And if I needed to put the particular address, I could. <laughs> public hearing uh, concerning uh, 170 Hudson Street. Uh, I have a motion to close the public hearing from Scott Rogers, and I believe a second from Kristen Wickstead. Yeah. Uh, this is a roll call vote. Kristen Wickstead. Aye. Julian Hirsch. Aye. Scott Rogers. Aye. Leslie Rattan. Aye. And I just pro vote aye. Public hearing is closed. Do I have a motion for action by the board? I move the board vote to grant a location for and permission to AT&T to construct and maintain telecommunications wires and wireless attachments and this is not a word I know, appurtenances, yes. including fiber optic cable, remote nodes, and top mounted antennas to be attached by uh, to a national grid utility pole located at 138. Main Street in Northboro. Is that second? Um, I'm going to. I'm going to ask you. Yes, we. Hudson Street. Sorry. Yeah, that's the wrong address, right? One seventy Hudson Street. We have the motions. Yeah. Language of the motions in the opposite order of the public hearings. Right. Sorry. So. So I just got going. The that word threw me. Right. Uh, so the motion with respect to 170 Hudson, Hudson Street in yes. Northboro. Uh, board members, any further discussion? Julianne Hirsch. Yeah, um, so this is maybe to Mr. Charpentier. So this is, um, this is quite tall, right? This pole, um, four feet above utility lines. So I, I honestly couldn't figure out today where, you know, uh, so as I'm driving from up Hudson Street from town, is this going to be the, the first thing I see as I look at the beautiful aqueduct? No, it's on the left-hand side um, as you're traveling um, in the foreground of the uh, pump building. So it won't obstruct that, that visual of the aqueduct and the river? It's on the opposite side of the road. It's on the left-hand side of, the, of Hudson Street as you're That's exiting. Right. Exer if, you'd like, if you'd like, if I can even figure out how to do this, I could share my screen and show you uh, the 
photo on Google Earth uh, Street View of it. Um, let me see here. Share yeah, screen. I think that was in our packet. That's that's that that was helpful. But I'm I'm no, just no, this, trying to think. This is a, this is a different view. Uh, if oh, you, great. Ready? I'll show you right now. Sure. Please proceed. Can you see that? Yes. So the pole right here, that's the one. Uh. And then it's shrouded by those trees and there's the aqueduct. So that won't be uh, visually impacting uh, that at all. The aqueduct is actually impacted trees? more by the other existing uh, poles on the right. riverside. Uh, Mr. Dolan, are you gonna have to do tree work? Uh, to the extent that there is, well, yes, if, if, if the pole, I can't tell from this angle. Um, let me see if I come down a little further. Um, let's see. Now it looks like that pole, we should be able to get close. Now, there may be a little bit of trimming here, but by no means will this tree come down you know, it's just going to require that extra 10 or 12 feet here that could cause a slight clip to that. Okay, thank you. Sure. Thank you, Julianne. Uh, board members, any other questions? Seeing none, this is a roll call vote. Uh, Kristen Wickstead. I'm sorry, Kristen, you were muted. Sorry, aye. Julianne Hirsch? Aye. Scott Rogers? Aye. Leslie Rutan? Aye. And I, Jason Pro, vote aye. Uh, carries unanimously. Uh, now past the hour of 7.05 p.m. and we have uh, substantially the same kind of consideration consider a petition as submitted by New Singular Wireless PCS LLC doing business as AT&T for a grant of location for a small wireless facility on a replacement utility pole near 138 Main Street. Uh, uh, good Mr. Dolan, yeah, if you could. Yes, good evening, um, Michael Dolan again. Um, this, as I mentioned, we have a situation where uh, we have that small gap in coverage that we're hoping to uh, install a small cell facility to address. I put on my screen here, um, this is the pole here uh, that we will be looking to uh, attach uh, our facility to. As you can see, I believe there's a funeral home uh, up here and there are several commercial businesses uh, in that direction. So, um, whoops. That, that just gives you a sense of what we're doing. It's the same design. Um, in this situation, the, uh, the existing pole is 39 feet, three inches, and we're proposing to go up to um, uh, 43 feet. So this pole itself is much taller. Most poles are uh, closer to 35 feet. Um, and uh, this one, we're just adding uh, a few extra feet. Uh, essentially, just to provide the four feet of clearance. Uh, Correct. Yeah. Uh, this is a separate uh, public hearing, but uh, 
the information is uh, substantially the same for both of these installations other than the location. Uh, we have the same set of documentation and the same report by the certified health physicist. Uh, also the structural elements uh, for load bearing uh, for the attached equipment and for uh, uh, wind loads uh, on the pole. Uh, members of the board, uh, do you have any questions or comments you'd like to offer? Sorry, Mr. Uh, Dolan, could I ask you to stop sharing? Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm yep, making nope, up no problem. There. Sorry about that. <laughs> Coming off the uh, shifting of the time over the weekend, uh, the, the motion is contributing yep, to my you. discomfort. I was struggling with my mouse pad there a little. I'm sorry. There you go. No problem. I'm in a, I'm in a timeout. Let me stop sharing. Yep. There we go. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, board members, uh, again, uh, any uh, questions or comments? Julianne? Okay, so this one I have a little bit more of a problem with. Um, if I'm correct, poll number 30, is that the one we're using, is right at the driveway up to White Cliffs. It is right, right in the, at a sidewalk. Um, the other one doesn't have a sidewalk running by it, I don't think. And, um, you know, we, we, we did vote as a town to try to preserve White Cliffs, and it's seen some sorry days, but I think that adding this in front of it is not going to make it look any better. So um, when I was down there looking at it, um, and I don't know if Mr. Dolan would be so kind as to share his screen again. There's a, a traffic island not far away from that at all. The, the island where East Main Street turns, turns off. Um, is there any possibility of putting that pole at a different, at a different location or, or maybe even across the street where there is no sidewalk? I don't think there's a sidewalk across the street. I mean, is, is, this, is this particular poll the only poll that it can go on? Um, so I'm going to share my screen again. I apologize. Um, so if that's the poll right there on the right. I don't want to touch it. And, uh, yeah, uh, I th I, that's my, my understanding. Uh, if, is the town engineer here? Or it, So that's the uh, poll, and uh, that that is the one that uh, the only one in this area that uh, National Grid has said would be appropriate for our facility. There's a no talking to National Grid about a not, you know anything else. Do you see how close it is to the sidewalk, and and yeah. how this truly will like? I mean, it'll. It's 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 not the you know. Yeah, so um, most of the poles we attach to are right next to a sidewalk. Um, it just so happens that the other one was in a more rural area where there wasn't one. But, it, you know, up and down most of the main streets that we locate these, uh, it's right next to a sidewalk. So so you, you can say with certainty that this is the only pole that we can use. I can say with certainty that within the search ring we gave them 
for where we need coverage, this is where they told us to go. Um, and I can only presume that other sites uh, didn't work for them because of a whole host of different things that can be on the poll that prevent there from being the ability to add a, uh, an AT&T antenna facility. So if you go down the street um, towards, towards the police station, mm -hmm. there's an intersection to East Main Street. There's a beautiful little island there that has a pole already, which seems, and it's getting farther away from the sidewalk, that cannot be considered. It's just, it's unsuitable. As I say, I don't know uh, what the reasoning was for that specific poll. Um, I can, as I say, the only thing I can tell you is among all the polls in that area, that was the one, this is the one we were directed to. I do have a colleague of mine who is going to uh, join the call, um, and I don't know if she is by Zoom or by phone, but Kelly Faye. Kelly, are you able to, are you on the call? And if so, are you able to weigh in on this? I, Mr. Chair, Kelly. Yep, I got her. Uh, uh, bring Kelly in now. Uh, hello, Kelly Fay. If you could. Hi, unmute. can everybody hear me? Yes. Hi, how are you? Hi. So, um, my name is Kelly. I work for the site acquisition company on behalf of um, AT&T. I go out there. I walk these sites. Um, I work with the utility companies in choosing the polls. Um, the reason that this poll was chosen, among a slew of other, you know among other issues and, and whatnot is there's, there's nothing attached to this poll. So a lot of the other polls in the area already have some sort of communications equipment attached to it. They have primary power running in multiple directions. Um, they, some polls have risers on them, which is essentially lines that go from underground and up the pole, you know, feeding whatever's on the pole. Um, so unfortunately, this pretty much is the only poll that was approved for our use. Uh, understood. Thank you very much for that clarification. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, Mr. Dolan, if I could ask you to uh, Discontinue oh, uh, sharing. Yep. Thank you. Just uh, need to see all my board members sure. <laughs> to see who sure. uh, want, wants to uh, uh, participate. Uh, board members, any other questions? Uh, Julianne? I, I just, you, you know, I, <laughs> um, I'm not hearing that this is the only poll that National Grid is is willing to consider definitively. Like we have to eliminate all the others in the area. And I would feel better if if I knew that before I um before I voted on this. Kelly, did you have anything you want to add on that? I did. I raised my hand. I wasn't sure if I should just jump in or not. Um, we did submit a ton of other polls within this area 
And like I said, none of them met their requirements for being allowed to have a small cell antenna placed on it. Are um, you familiar I, with the one that Councillor Hirsch is me mentioning? What do you mean? She she had talked about one down near an opening. Uh, I'm sorry. Could you? Re so if you if you share your screen again and go down the street to um, the intersection at East Main Street, there's an office built. It's, it's on the same side of the street. Yep. There's an office building, and then um, it's just before a restaurant, Sammy's Restaurant. It's an island there. Um, and also, if you're replacing a pole. I, you so know, is this, are you talking about at, at the intersection of Maine and say Maple? Is e, that no, no, no. Maine and East Maine. As there's a, there, it says. Oh, I see where you're looking. Okay. So again, we did go pretty far down the street. Um, small cell antennas don't, they don't shoot very far, right? So they don't shoot for miles and miles and they don't cover miles and miles worth of, of area. They really only cover from 500 to 1,000 feet. So the area that we're given, which is where that pole that we're considering um, is placed is kind of the area that needs the most coverage, so to speak. Um, but in looking at where you're talking about at that intersection, A, it is too far for where we need coverage but there also aren't any poles down there that meet the requirements of the utility company. So the one pole that is there on the corner has primary power going in multiple directions and it has um, tons of lines on it. So it, unfortunately that just wouldn't be even considered by National Grid. Okay, thank you. Yep, of course. Thank you, Julia. Uh, board members, any other questions? Uh, seeing none, uh, again, this is a public hearing. If any member of the audience wishes to be heard, please raise your hand through the Zoom uh, application. I have uh, Laura Zeiten. Laura? Hello, Laura. Okay, sorry. Laura Zeiten, 17 Franklin Circle. I'm just curious, according to our bylaws, I thought cell antennas and wireless communication facilities go through the planning board. Is there a reason this application is going through the selectmen? Uh, the understanding that we have is that uh, this particular type of equipment is not the same uh, definition as what we otherwise uh, have covered in our zoning bylaw. So it does not require, uh, John, would you care to Yeah, just that the distinction is it, it is, it's, it's not a, um, it, the distinction is that it, it is in the public way. That's the distinction. I'm not sure I understand what that means. Well, it's not on private property. It's, it's done it's within the public way. So then wouldn't the police department tower have gone in front of the selectmen instead of the planning board? Cause that's public way as well. And then Mm, it's not. Okay, so probably as a town, this is something we should look like, like as far as our cell tower planning and our antenna planning goes, because a lot of the towns around us have way stricter requirements around these topics. 
Um, that's all. Thank you, Laura. Uh, next up, I have Mitch Cohen. Mitch. That is Mitch Cohen, 12 Whitney Street. Um, I'm concerned about the, the specific location here, as it's been discussed a little bit. It's right in front of White Cliffs. Um, I wouldn't expect the applicants to know uh, White Cliffs. I think uh, Mr. Dolan referred to it as possibly a funeral home. It's, it's not. It's a historic property that the town purchased uh, a couple of years ago and is figuring out what to do with. There's an active committee looking into that, and this poll is right on that corner. The poll itself looks like it needs to get replaced. It looks like it's it's got a supporting poll already, and maybe that's why National Grid is pushing uh, AT&T towards replacing it. Um, my concern is that as the White Cliffs Committee goes along and figures out what to do with this property, it may be necessary to widen the driveway, depending upon what goes in there. It may be necessary or appropriate to move the pole. Um, I think that the board may want to ask the applicant to cooperate a little bit and get, give the town a little extra time to think through the pole location a little bit more, giving, given the intricacies and specifics of that location. Um, I, I certainly understand that the board is under the gun as to a 90-day requirement. That can certainly be waived by the applicant um, as long as there's movement towards, um, towards reaching consensus. And it may turn out in the end, this is really the only way to do it, and the applicant would be willing to move the pole at a later date or it may make sense to possibly relocate the pole now so it's completely out of the way of White Cliffs. Um, those are questions that I think are, are worth discussing. That ends my comment. So, thank you. Thank you for those comments. Um, we go uh, as the utility goes. So if the town works out with the utility that this pole needs to be moved, our facility on top of it's gonna have to be moved. So. Uh, what we do is we co-locate on, uh, on these utility poles, and I've had this before where a city or town may down the road want to do, widen a sidewalk or, you know, what have you. And if that gets squared away with the utility, we have to play ball, however you all agree on that, because we're just along for the ride on this pole. We don't control what happens to it, where it goes. Um, as I say, we, we put our antenna on top of it. And then if the larger plan for this property somehow involves uh, any change to that pole, well, that's something we have to live with. Thank you, Mr. Dolan. Uh, next up, I have uh, Bill Pierce. Good evening, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Thank you. Um, William Pierce, 367 Whitney Street. Um, I have a, just a, um, from my, my technology background, I just have a quick question. One of the things we do when we are putting up uh, Wi-Fi is we do a heat map. And I'm wondering if AT&T has done what's called a, a heat map, which is basically determining in the town where your gaps are before you start putting up any poles or any receivers or anything like that. Has that type of analysis been done? And if so, is that available for the uh, Board of Selectmen to view? Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, that, that's why we're here uh, for this poll. And there are coverage maps attached to our application, which show existing coverage and what our coverage will be like after these 
uh, proposed installations uh, are uh, installed, um, you know, we have an RF team that knows exactly where gaps in coverage are in every city in town. And these two locations uh, have been identified, uh, are shown in those coverage maps attached to the application. And then you can see that what coverage is provided by the facilities to address those needs. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Pierce. Uh, next up, I have uh, Lisa Maselli. Uh, thank you again, Lisa Maselli, 13 Maple Street. Um, the their pull in question in this location does pose a problem in a couple of different areas. Um, for quite some time, they've been talking about doing a, a possible uh, light and such at Brigham and Maple, which is just across the street from that, um, talking about things that may be happening in the with traffic and such because it's in such a um, hmm, um, obvious location. And, and yes, because of the fact that the, uh, the landscape alone by taking away the visual from the, um, from the mansion is going to be pretty apparent, especially at 45 feet. Um, there are two other poles. I mean, there's one right across the street uh, at 130 Main at the corner that doesn't have anything on it. Um, and it uh, might be my suggestion is to wait for this one, wait for approval on this one and see if we can get a better location by some sort of a compromise. Um, and that's my remark. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, Mr. Dolan or Ms. Faye, do you have any response to that uh, suggestion? Um, I think that's uh, been commented uh, on. I'm sorry, could you uh, clarify what, what the proposal was there? Uh, the suggestion that there's a pole across the street from this one that, uh, according to the citizen, uh, doesn't have anything on it. Uh, yeah, or similarly, much it. and uh, Kelly, if you want to weigh in here, uh, do you have any sense as to why the pole across the street was not selected by National Grid? So the only pole across the street that I currently see looks like it could be potentially sitting on private property. But besides that, it also has a transformer on it, which we cannot attach to poles that have equipment or transformers already on it. Thank you. Uh, any other member of the public who wishes to be heard? Laura Zeiten. Uh, Laura Zeiten, 17 Franklin Circle. Can we just in the future have more time to prepare for these so that we can at least do a thorough review and evaluation of all the alternatives rather than getting you know stuck in situations like this again in the future understood thank you any other comments from the public uh seeing none do i have a motion to close the public hearing Moved by Scott Rogers. Do I have a second? Second. Uh, moved by Scott Rogers, seconded by Leslie Rutan. This is a roll call vote. Kristen Wickstead. Aye. Julianne Hirsch. Aye. Scott Rogers. Aye. Leslie Rutan. Aye. And I, Jason Pro, vote aye. Public hearing is closed. Do I have a motion by action for the board? 
Mr. Chairman, I have the motion, but I believe that the motion um, Agreed. might it incorrectly say 138 Main Street. It is yes, it, correct, it's not. <laughs> what is the That's exact right. address of White Cliffs? Uh, the address of the location of the poll is considered to be 138 Main Street. But 138, 138 would be across the street, wouldn't it? Uh, I can only speak to what we have in the application and the motion. I well, I think we should maybe have the correct address. Does does anybody know the address of White Cliffs? <laughs> the Google is saying the address of White Cliffs is one sixty seven Main Street. Thank you. Thank You're you, welcome. Kelly. You're welcome. 167. Okay. So shouldn't the motion state that address? Uh, Sean, uh, do you have any advice? Well, I, I want to hear from the applicant. They're the ones that had submitted 138 Main Street. Yeah, our, our application referenced the 138 as well as the assessor's plat and lot in that area. Um, I think there's sufficient information in the plans uh, and all of the materials associated with our application to collectively have identified uh, the location of this poll properly. So if 167 is a is a easier address for purposes of this uh, vote. Uh, that's fine with us. Uh, I, I don't think there's any question as to where this poll was. Well, so the poll has its own identification that is unambiguous in this geographical. It area. has a poll number as well that's been identified on the plans. Right. So, okay, so I can I I will read the revised motion. Okay. Uh. I have no objection. I, uh, I don't know. The application was for 138 uh, Main Street. Um, Mr. Chair. Scott Rogers? Yes. Yeah, since the application includes the poll number, perhaps we could just make the motion that includes the poll number. That and would that's be poll number 30, correct? Yes. So can I just ask one more question of Mr. Dolan? The poll across the street, I think says, 30-1, what, maybe we were talking about that poll? Maybe Kelly knows, <laughs> were so we about, talking about the right poll? We are talking about the right poll. Typically when you see a 30-1, it means it is a supporting poll. So the poll across the street, um, the one that's kind of sitting on private property that has the transformer on it, that's 30-1. It is more of a guide poll and also a poll that just houses secondary power. Okay, thank you. So just to be sure we're referencing the poll, what is the correct poll identification number in the application? Kelly, that's poll 30, correct? That is correct. Julianne, perhaps you could phrase it as National Grid Poll 30 in the vicinity of the address. Perfect. Okay. Which address? 
Uh, I think we are going slash one sixty seven. <laughs> yeah, sure. I think we're relying on the poll identification as being yeah. definitive. Okay. All right. I'll do my best. Okay. I move the board vote to grant a location for and permission to AT and T to construct and maintain telecommunications wires and wireless attachments and appurtenances, including fiber optic cable, remote nodes, and top-mounted antennas to be attached to a national grid utility pole number 30 in the vicinity between 138 and 167 Main Street. Second. Motion by Julianne Hirsch, seconded by Scott Rogers. Any further discussion? Julianne. Mr. Dolan, I'm sorry. Do you think that your client would give us a little extra time to get figure this out, uh, to um, correct all of these things and um, maybe ask the question, can it, is there another poll? What, what is your feeling about that? Well, I think we just corrected any ambiguity as to where this poll was. I think anyone looking at this application package, there's a site map, there's photos of it, uh, could easily identify which poll this is. I think you did a masterful job identifying that it's poll 30 uh, in the vicinity of 138 and 167. So I don't think that would be a, uh, a necessary reason to uh, continue this matter. I think Kelly, um, was able to explain that based on her discussions with the utility, uh, unfortunately, there aren't any other utility polls within this search ring that would address this need. Uh, as she mentioned, the coverage typically goes between 500 feet and 1,000 feet in a radius from the pole. And this being kind of almost ground zero of where we need to go, it would have to be a pole essentially within 500 feet or maybe 750 feet. And from what I'm hearing, uh, some of the other alternatives, uh, you know, that have been mentioned aren't within that radius. And if they are, there are reasons why uh, the power lines on them, as well as the other pertinences, um, make it so uh, we can't go on those. So, you know, my, my feeling is as much as I'd you know, if, if I thought that there was a reason why we could go talk to the utility and perhaps uh, there were some unknowns out there that we might be able to address to solve the problem here, it would seem like a, a good move. But uh, unfortunately, you know, what I'm hearing from Kelly is that uh, in her conversations with National Grid, there is nothing within this search ring. So you know, I would respectfully say that that would kind of be my client's position on this. I hear where you're coming from, no doubt, but, uh, you know, these things do get exhausted pretty thoroughly uh, by the site acquisition company that Kelly works for uh, in consultation with the utility. Thank you so much. You've been very, very patient with me. Um, and, and thanks for understanding where we're coming from. And, and bottom line, you know, people need their internet service. So, you know, uh, that's, that's extremely important and I understand that. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Julia. Uh, Leslie. 
that. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Dolan, for the information. And I am satisfied um, in the need not to continue uh, this issue because I, you've answered these questions three or four or five times. I feel satisfied that you've done due diligence. Um, there is a need there that I believe you have satisfied the explanation for that. And there are also a lot of, there are too many what ifs at this point. You know, we don't know what's going to happen with Whitecliffs. We don't know what's going to happen with the intersection of Brigham and Maple. Unfortunately, because that is a terrible intersection, I would love it if something happened soon. But anyway, um, those issues are nothing that's going to be resolved anytime in the near future anyway. So I think there's potentially an evolution to this anyway. And there might have to be a, a, some sort of poll movement, but to wait for one of those issues to be resolved is, is way out into the, into the future. So thank you very much. Thank you, Leslie. Uh, any other comments, board members? Uh, seeing none, this is a roll call vote. Kristen Wickstead? Aye. Julianne Hirsch? Aye. Scott Rogers? Aye. Leslie Rutan? Aye. And I, Jason Perot, vote aye. Carries unanimously. Uh, Mr. Dolan, Ms. Faye, thank you very much. Uh, appreciate your uh, uh, participation this evening. And thank you all for your very thoughtful consideration. I appreciate it. Good night. Good night. Thank you. Very good. Past the hour of 7.10 p.m. And we have William Liver, Police Chief, appointment of Melissa Lonergan as police officer. Good evening, Mr. Chair. Good evening. Um, very pleased to be before you tonight uh, to recommend uh, Melissa Lonergan as uh, a patrolman for the a police officer for the town of Northboro. Um, she comes to us from uh, District Attorney Early's office, where she worked as a uh, victim witness advocate. And uh, she went to Medway High School. She graduated, uh, obtained a Bachelor of Science degree in Human Services. Uh, Pretty much the same thing that we do here. Um, two children, ages five and nine, and she's also a uh, member of the United States Army Reserve as a behavioral uh, health uh, specialist, um, and she will be the first female police officer that the town has hired in over 22 years. Not the first, but it, uh, in a long, long time, and uh, I hope she's the first of many more to come. That was a goal that we set six years ago, and I'm glad to see that come to fruition. Very excited to have her come on board. She has uh, passed all of her uh, entry requirements, psychological evaluation, medical screenings, PAT testing, um, and she's ready to go. Today, she was uh, at the academy doing her pre-assessment testing. Uh, so I'm asking that she be appointed uh, for April 1st of this year, as she will be attending the academy up in Haverhill, uh, uh, starting uh, April, I want to say 19th, I believe, uh, whatever that Tuesday is. It's the uh, Tuesday after uh, Patriot's Day. So Melissa is on with us, and uh, I know she's been sitting here waiting for a while. I told her there was going to be some uh, 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 items before us, and I know she wanted to have her children with us. So I'm seeing one. She has five and nine, so I'm, I'm wondering if the five-year-old may be with the bed. Or is, okay. <laughs> so with that said, Mr. Chairman, I would uh, present Melissa Lonigan to you uh, for consideration as a full-time police officer to be appointed this evening, effective April 1st. Thank you very much, Chief. Uh, welcome, Melissa. 
glad to have you here this evening and uh, certainly uh, uh, very glad to have you joining the force here in Northborough. Um, would you like to offer any words or introduce us? Hi, everybody. Melissa Lonergan, grateful to be here. Um, thank you to all the selectmen and the chief, Chief Liver, Lieutenant Karen, the department overall, who have been so helpful and welcoming to me. I'm really excited and eager to be a part of this great community of Northborough and, um, you know, break barriers and blaze a path for females uh, in the future um, that, you know, police officers look like me too. And I'm really eager to get going. So thank you. Terrific. Thank you very much. Uh, members of the board, uh, would you care to offer any comments? Leslie. Hi, Melissa. Welcome. Thank you for being here at our meeting and welcome to both of your kids. It's very nice that they're both there with you. I'm sure they're very proud of you. Um, and I just want to say how wonderful it was to interview you. I was glad that I had the opportunity to be in on the interview sessions and uh, you were a very impressive candidate and uh, nothing but wonderful things to say about you and your background. You've obviously done so many things with your life um, that indicate that you're a knowledgeable, professional, motivated and dedicated individual. So we're very proud that you wanted to come to Northborough and serve our community. Our community has a wonderful police department, um, takes a lot of pride in their, in their job and keeps us all safe. And we're glad that you are here to join their ranks. So thank you very much. We appreciate it. And thank you to your kids for being here. Uh, other board members? Uh, Scott Rogers. Yeah, hi, Melissa. Just want to welcome you as well. And the thanks for uh, uh, coming to Northboro. We look forward to seeing you on the streets. Uh, if there's nothing more, do I have a motion? Mr. Chair, I move the board vote to appoint Melissa Lonergan to the Northboro Police Department as a full-time police officer, effective April 1st, 2022. Second. Moved by Leslie Rutan, seconded by Julian Hirsch. Any further discussion? Seeing none, this is a roll call vote. Kristen Wickstead. Aye. Julian Hirsch. Aye. Scott Rogers. Aye. Leslie Rutan. Aye. And I, Jason Pro, vote aye. Carries unanimously. And so congratulations, Melissa. Welcome. I might uh, just uh, add, Mr. Chair. Uh, yes, like to, by like all means, thank, Just like to thank uh, Assistant Town Administrator Becca Meekins and uh, Town Moderator Fred George, who's become a fixture on our employing our uh, interviewing committees. So uh, mm -hmm. great thanks to them for the good work that they do. And Wonderful. congratulations again to Melissa. Congratulations. You're welcome. Thank you all. <laughs> Thanks to the kids for staying up and being patient. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay, good night now. Superb. Uh, next, past the hour of 7.20 p.m., we have Fred George, town moderator, discussion in consultation with the board regarding the date, time, and location of annual town meeting. And there you are, Fred. Good evening, Fred. 
Good evening, Mr. Chair. How are you this evening? I am outstanding. Yep. Uh, as you know, we uh, last two years, uh, due to the COVID circumstance, uh, we had uh, uh, moved town meeting to an outdoor venue on the uh, AARHS uh, football field. Um, as we approach uh, our town meeting date at the end of April, uh, once again, uh, giving some consideration to the current circumstances and uh, options that we might consider uh, for where and when uh, uh, to, uh, to hold town meeting. So we just invite you to uh, um, perhaps offer whatever perspectives you have in mind at the moment. There's uh, some conversation this evening, not necessarily any requirement to take any action. Uh, uh, we can wait it out a little bit and see how things develop, but uh, be certainly interested in hearing your uh, perspective, Fred. Well, certainly, as we all know, the uh, location and timing of the town meeting is at the uh, pleasure of the board of selectmen. And uh, as moderator, my responsibility is to, to manage the meeting once it has been assigned and determined when it takes place. That being said, uh, we've had uh, a couple of years of, of excitement and uh, challenge and uh, you know the opportunity to really determine when we could have a safe town meeting. Uh, and from my perspective, I, I think uh, we did a great job. Uh, the weather didn't always cooperate. Um, we were nearly blown away last year. And, uh, and the year before we were nearly, you know, suffocated by the heat. Um, so, so the outdoor meetings have, have, have been successful in one particular way. And that is, it gave people the opportunity to have the social distance that they felt they needed to have. Now we're talking about the opportunity to look at either having, returning back to, uh, you know, Algonquin and the auditorium and having that opportunity to be there or continuing with an outdoor type of program. And, and from my perspective, I think both have their merits and I'm going to uh, defer to this illustrious board to, uh, to make the, you're not gonna put this on me, okay? <laughs> illustrious <laughs> board uh, to determine what makes sense as far as what's going on. Uh, and remembering that we are considering the, the population of Northborough that tends to attend the town meeting and, uh, and, and the number of people who attend those town meetings as well. I think those are the key components that uh, would be worthy of consideration. Thank you, Fred. Um, members of the board, uh, would you care to offer any outlook or perspective at this time, Kristen? So are we just considering either doing the Monday night, the, I think it's the 20, 20, 20, whatever, the, the Monday night that is scheduled for right now in the Algonquin auditorium, or if we switch it to the Saturday morning, does it have to be outside or could we still do it inside on the Saturday morning? Is that an option? So if I may, Mr. Chairman, so sure, sure. our town meeting, our, our timing of our town meeting is based on a bylaw. So town meeting is a fourth Monday. That's it. You have the board, the board has the ability under statute to change it for uh, emergency or public health uh, reasons. As you know, on the town meeting warrant uh, this year, there is a proposal to move town meeting to uh, Saturday, but the only reason to move it from inside the auditorium to outside would be for public health purposes. So 
uh, it doesn't make any sense uh, in that regard uh, to move it inside on a Saturday. So the only reason to move it away from what is prescribed in the bylaw, and there's a specific you know, process and a, a vote that would need to take place in order to do that, um, would be you know, outside because you feel it is unsafe in a, in a public health emergency not to have it outside. The okay. other piece, uh, just so that folks understand too, is uh, in order to hold the town meeting outside, I think we did a great job the last two years, um, but it is, uh, it is an added expense of somewhere around uh, ten dollars to $12,000 for the chair rentals, the overtime, the uh, porter potties, the uh, tents that don't blow away, um, all of that stuff. So, uh, so having it outside is, a, is a, um, um, an expense. Um, but really the decision that to be made tonight is not for, because you'd like it or for convenience, is, is it safe to go back to where we uh, hold town meeting, when we hold town meeting uh, in accordance with the bylaw or is it, or is it not? Okay, thanks. Yeah, I, I think I got a little mixed up because I did read the warrant and that piece on the warrant, so. Yeah, so there's a, there's a citizen's petition to move town meeting to Thank Saturday that's which would be Saturday in the auditorium, but but that would be uh that would be that would be how you would move it. You wouldn't yeah. just decide to move it. Uh, the only because we have our town meeting is based in the um, in the town's bylaws. So yeah. okay, thanks. Thank you, Kristen. Uh, you didn't uh, want to uh, offer anything more in terms of considerations that would affect our decision. You're just um, clarifying the um, the option. Yeah, so I I think um, I would like to hear from people. There's a lot of people at the meeting tonight, or at least there have been. So I just, I hope people um, speak up about this if they have a strong opinion one way or the other. Would like to hear from residents. Thanks. Okay. Thank you, Kristen. Uh, yeah, it was a race. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Julianne Hirsch. Okay, so I have um, three things to say. One is I would like to hear from the health agent and, and her recommendation. Two is uh, the last time we had to decide on this, we had a dedicated email address, I think, where people could write to us and express their concerns and preferences. And I thought that went very well. So it, we had at least some sort of feedback about this. And the third thing is the cost. When you um, to the, this is to the town administrator. When you say it's a certain amount of money, is that over and above the usual cost or, and could that co money come out of ARPA or COVID relief? There is no COVID relief anymore. So it would come out, it would have to be, it would have to come out of ARPA funding if, uh, if we wanted to do it. And, and what was, what was the, I'm sorry, I missed. Um, so it's, you mentioned a figure, was it $12,000? It's uh, ten to twelve thousand dollars. Yes, uh, uh, immediately, uh, out, immediately out of the gate, are uh, is about six or seven thousand dollars of expense, uh, just because of the equipment uh, that needs to be rented outside. We always have a couple of uh, police officers uh, that are there, but uh, when we had it outside, uh, we typically have some fire personnel and ambulance by, and uh, uh, but it's really the chairs. The sound system, the tent rental, the porta potties, and then the additional staff to manage the um, safety of the crowd 
to direct traffic and to get people in and out of that uh, football field area safely. So you're saying $12,000 above the usual six or seven? Uh, no, I'm saying uh, it, it, it costs about, I looked at some figures earlier. It's, uh, it's about uh, 10 to 12,000. The only thing that we would normally have for an expense over there would be uh, uh, typically a custodial cleaning fee and, um, and usually the uh, police department will have a couple of officers there. But okay, so sure it's that... really four to $6,000 more than we budgeted for. Mm, no, it's, it's, the, it's about 12, 10 to 12,000. More John, than we John, budgeted. John, yeah. John, I think the question is, what does it cost us if we just have our regular indoor Monday night yeah, no, I, I get that. And, and uh, typically, I think the I don't think we pay uh, the, the police chief typically has a couple of officers that are just there. So it's really a cleaning fee um, to be there, uh, which is a few hundred dollars. So being in the auditorium is uh, little to any expense at all. Being outside requires the additional staff to direct the traffic. Uh, DBW has to be there to set up, to put up the cones, we have to rent all the equipment. So the Delta is probably about 10 grand. And, and um, it does sound like this would be ARPA appropriate, even be well appropriate funds, right? Well, you could use ARPA funding uh, to move town meeting if you felt it was for the public okay. health. All right. So that's, those are my three things. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Julie. Uh, Scott Rogers, I think you had a hand up earlier. So yeah, since the the impetus to move town meeting would have, would be due to public health, I was wondering if we had any input from either DPH or the Board of Health or our health agent on on where trends are in terms of COVID and what's likely to be forecasted. I know that's hard to do it as we get into April, but sure. But if there was any information on that, well, um, our health agent is. Not to put her on the spot here, yeah, she fair. was, she, she is here uh, in the audience, but uh, you know, she's not going to tell you what you need to do, but she certainly can tell you the status of any uh, uh, CDC guidelines or recommendations in terms of masking and, and that sort of thing. And I'm sure she has a sense of what the, uh, what the uh, current caseload looks like. So she's queued up there, Mr. Chairman. Uh... I'm sorry, I'm uh Would a promoter or just allow her to speak? Uh you can promote her. Yeah, sure. Our way in. Deserves a promotion. Oh, I'm sorry, up at up at the top there. I Kristen Black, the health agent. Uh sorry, Kristen, I lost you in the list there because you had your hand up and bumped to the top of the list. You just vanished out from under me. Okay. No, um, good evening, everyone. I want to take the same path as our, our moderator and say, you know, we've been making rules for so long. Can I kick it back at you guys? But no, in all seriousness, it's really, you know, this is a difficult situation and we've been closely following, you know, what other towns are doing. So regarding COVID rules, you know, there's really no rules per se. There are some CDC general guidance around larger gatherings and things along those lines, but the Mass Department of Public Health has not put out anything specific um, to really guide local boards of health and these guidelines. So, um, and that's in, you know, stark contrast to the last two years. So we really are on, you know, uncharted territory. It's really open. You know, I can speak to our numbers. Um, you should, the board of selectmen, I believe John's forwarding 
the you know weekly dashboard from the epidemiologist every week and we are so excited to see i'm just pulling up on our, our website here our most recent um you know percent positivity has dropped below two percent what which is um really you know great to see and remember that number we used to sort of think about as our trigger was a five percent um test positivity rate of really where we were thinking we were um in a higher risk zone so i think we're in a good place um and so I really think it's up to the board and, and we are seeing more indoor gatherings. Our high school is gathering indoors and masks aren't even required, um, you know, in, in some of those settings. So I think, you know, we, we are excited to see a bit of this return to normal. We're doing well. We were in a very different place last year where we didn't have boosters. We didn't have treatment, you know, there are hospitals overloaded. So that's why we're not seeing that guidance from the Mass Department of Public Health right now that is telling us to make specific um, accommodations at town meeting for COVID-19. Um, some creative ideas that I've heard from other communities, like talking with the health director in Westboro, they are making a mask only area. So for individuals who may feel they're immunocompromised, there's more social distancing and masks are required in particular section of that indoor auditorium. I thought that was a great idea. Um, and I think there should be some consideration of making places or areas a little safer for people who may um, be immunocompromised. Um, we definitely will have uh, enough masks to offer KN95s for anyone who were to attend this meeting if they prefer to wear it, you know, but those additional restrictions are really left to the board. So I'm sorry I'm not giving you a straightforward, easy answer of this is what you should do. You know, we're just not getting that guidance from above. Um, and, you know, and the indication is it's not required at this time, but, um, you know, I think there's simple things we can do, like we've always done as a town, having hand sanitizer available or encouraging that, you know, it is a large venue, you know it best, um, and so hopefully there is the um, opportunity for individuals to socially distance and we can do other practices, but maybe accommodations if the board were to choose to hold it in this indoor setting, you know, to have a maybe a mask uh, required seating area um, to make it more comfortable for certain individuals. And obviously at the high school, we have great HVAC and other considerations like that. So um, hopefully it's a, a better situation than uh, other indoor settings for other communities. So that's all I have. Great. Thank you very much, Kristen. I appreciate that uh, clarification and mentioning some of those options as well. Um, I think uh, perhaps for many of us, uh, we may be feeling that uh, the circumstances are right for us to begin to return to in-person in uh, activity. Uh, there may be some members of the community who still feel from uh, immunocompromised or health perspective or something like that, they would like a little more protection. And so you have this balance to strike between uh, uh, what works well and uh, what uh, what accommodations uh, may need to be made. Uh, Leslie, yes. Yeah, thank you, Kristen, for being on the call here. Thank you for that information. And I think that's, I like that idea a lot, uh, having a mask only area if we do end up holding this inside. What I'm wondering is um, if we do hold it inside and the indoor auditorium is filled to, to capacity or as much as we think that it is good, um, could something be set up in either one of the classrooms or in the lobby behind the auditorium so that the mask only area could be in one of those locations um, as opposed to having the mask only area being, you know, all of a sudden pinched down to a small corner of the auditorium that where those people feel uncomfortable because it's just too crowded in there. So I just wanted to throw that out there um, as far as um, um, the table goes to see if there's something that can be done to accommodate another spot in the, in the building if, if needed. 
Um, also, I wanted to ask, um, this is on our agenda, but I'm not sure what we're expected to do at this point. Are we, are you hoping for a consensus as far as what should happen as far as town meeting? Um, is it just to get the information out there and what would be the next and when would be the next action that we would need to take? And my third question is, if there are changes, let's say two weeks before town meeting and all of a sudden there's some sort of surge of something, what would be the protocol that we would follow to um, reschedule? So a lot of questions. I could take a couple of them if the chairman would like me to. Uh, sure, first of all, if, if it, you can always, under the emergency provisions, postpone or move town meeting for the public safety. So if something uh, changes radically, like we had done uh, in the previous you know, two years, we actually posted our, our warrant to be in the auditorium and then um, held a meeting and uh, took the proper votes and notifications to move it to outside. So if that were to happen, you have that, that option. In terms of timing, um, you're gonna post the warrant at your next meeting on March 28th, so we need to know where it is. It's a, it's a uh, much more complicated process if you post the warrant and then change the venue and the time. Um, you have to go through a, uh, a, uh, a process of notification, uh, notifying everybody, whereas on the front end here, uh, there's still a process of notification, but if you, you know, it avoids confusion if you know what you're doing when you close and post the warrant. And then the intent should be that's the time, the location, and the venue, um, unless there's a public emergency to tell you otherwise. So, But you could, as far as your agenda posting this evening, you can make the decision tonight. I drafted the agenda. Uh, if, there was, if everybody had a, a clear uh, sense of what they wanted to do, you could make that decision this evening. Uh, but you would need to make it uh, at your next meeting if you don't make the decision tonight. Okay. Thank you, John. Thank you. Uh, Kristen. Sorry, one more point. I, I was um, wrong when I said that I wanted to hear from residents like I was thinking they could just chime in, but it, this isn't a public hearing. So, no. um, yeah, so we, we don't really have that option tonight. Um, so, I, I, I wouldn't mind um, voting on it uh, at the next meeting, if I understood John correctly. And I think Fred said the same thing. Yep. Um, so yeah, that, that feels a little more um, good to me because I just, I just know so many people feel really strongly about this kind of thing. Like they, there's so many people in town who feel really strongly about coming to town meeting. It's really important to them. And a lot of them are the seniors um, and you know, they're the ones more at risk. So I, I would like to get, uh, the pulse of, of them, I think personally. Yep. Uh, I certainly agree that, uh, rather than try to settle tonight, uh, we just allow, give ourselves the benefit of the next two weeks, uh, for any input that comes in and, uh, any other, uh, circumstances that develop with respect to COVID, um, for good or for bad. And, uh, and uh, defer until we're posting the warrant at our next meeting to also make the decision about uh, where we think uh, we're going to settle that. Uh, Leslie. Yeah, I do agree with that also. I think, you know, I don't want the um, residents to be deterred from coming to town meeting um, based, on, based on where it is. I think 
as long as everyone knows that they can send emails and let us know how they feel about it, that way they will feel like they've been given the opportunity to provide their, their input. So if we don't have to vote on it tonight, then it'd be a nice period of time to hear from residents. Uh, any other comments? Julianne? So could someone refresh my memory? The last time we did this, um, and I mentioned it in my previous comment, I thought we had a dedicated email site so that people could just jump on and tell us their preferences. Um, and I do appreciate what Mr. George said about, um, you know, we have to keep in mind the 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 people who show up for town meeting. Um, so I, can we do that again? Does anyone remember exactly how yeah. we did it? I we thought did, it worked really well. Yeah, we didn't, uh, don't recall having a dedicated email address, but you have a dedicated email address on the website to the Board of Selectmen. So that would be the one to direct people to, uh, to use. Right, I you have a dedicated, thinking... one email address, uh, with one click, they can email the entire board with whatever their thoughts are. That would be the appropriate uh, venue. Yeah. Okay. Julian, you might be thinking two years back when uh, the first iteration, I think we did have uh, something specific set up for, for people yeah. to, uh, right. to contact. Right. But that was just for that one year. Um, again, for this year, I think circumstances are mitigating to some extent. And anyone who wants to express an opinion can just do so directly to the Board of Selectmen. It doesn't need to be a, a dedicated uh, email for that purpose. Okay. Well, I'm in favor of waiting. Okay. Uh, is that an agreement uh, by agreement? The board uh, will defer to our next meeting to make a final decision, uh, which may not end up being final, but <laughs> we'll do our best. Uh, and so I think that will conclude the discussion for the evening then. Uh, town moderator, Fred George. Health agent Kristen Black, thank you both for being here and for uh, giving us your input. And uh, we look forward uh, to, uh, I don't know, potentially seeing you at our next meeting for further input. <laughs> thank you. All right. Thank, thank you very you. much. Good night. Uh, next up, past, well past the hour of 7.35 p.m., we have John C Campbell, Community Preservation Committee Chairman presentation on CPC town meeting warrant articles. Promote him now. You and John? Yep. Good evening, can you hear me? Yes, we can, John. How are you? I'm well, thanks for having me, Mr. Chairman, members of the board, members of town staff. I appreciate the time being granted to me. Um, I will be as brief as I can because it's late, but I wanted to share some good news first. Um, the town's match from the state went up this year to about 43%, which was going to come up to about $285,000. Uh, that is the most that we've gotten as a match in some years, and we'll bring our total match in town through CPA to over $2.8 million. So that's great news. Um, this year, we were very challenged. We had many applications and weren't quite sure if we could figure out how to support them all, but we found a way to do it. 
Uh, as a reminder, the um, CPC looks at fiscal year 23, the forward year revenues for what it can spend at town meeting, as well as what it has in reserves. And this year we had a total, uh, well, we're, we're basing it on 750,000 of new revenue forecasted by our town accountant, Jason, and 784,000 in reserves. So we have 1.534 million to work with, should we choose to. And as I say, we found a way to uh, bring forward just about every application that was brought to us. Um, I would like to focus primarily on the first article, that is the affordable housing project. And I'll cover the others a little more briefly, but before I do so, it's important to know that over the course of the CPA in Northboro, we have um, focused more on open space and recreation and on historical than we have on affordable housing creation over time. It's about uh, two to one in those other categories compared to affordable housing, and it is one of the core tenants. So we're always looking for opportunities to work on those projects, and I think a great one has come before us. Um, you have the warrant in front of you. There are a few corrections that I'm going to bring you to, but I want to briefly tell you about the overall nature of this project. Um, this would create eight senior affordable housing apartments. It would not only uh, work toward the goals of the CPC, but it works very much towards the goals of our own master plan. The project will cost 2.44 million, but we have an opportunity to get 800,000 of that in a special state grant. And in addition, the housing authority has 200,000 in reserves. So we need to account for 1.44 million. And uh, it, the um, town is also offering through free cash and ARPA to contribute $100,000. So the Warren article would be written around 1.34 million. And you have a listing in your Warren article that I'm gonna go through briefly. We uh, voted to take the funds from three key categories. One would be new revenues. The second would be the affordable housing reserve account that already had 127,000 in it. And finally to contribute 486,000 from the unreserved fund. That is the fund of uh, CPA that is not yet allocated to one of the three core categories. So in a sense, it's our, it's our reserves. Um, in, in addition, the 1.34 million would be accounted for by uh, re, or you should say, um, reallocating, repurposing existing town meeting voted amounts that have either been unused by those projects or are currently uh, unused yet by the Northboro Affordable Housing Corporation. And there's really um, seven, I should say eight different additions that come into this warrant. A bit confusing. Your, um, as I understand it, the warrant reading that you had in your packet is missing one line item. And that is for 20,000 of additional money that is from uh, town meeting 2015, and leftover money to the NAHC of 50,000 of which only 30,000 was needed on the current hitching post lane project with Habitat for Humanity. So that line item would be added to what you have there currently. There was also $24,000 plus that was not used by the housing authority during the demolition of the original project creating the uh, senior units at Center Drive. There is a small amount of 569 uh, left over from prior 
uh, housing corporation funds. And finally, there's uh, 450,000 of Northboro Affordable Housing Corporation funds uh, granted by town meeting that as yet unused on a project. So it's exhausting, but the total would bring us to 1.34 million. And with that, uh, we were able to show the housing authority that the CPC voted to approve it and bring it to town meeting. And they've been able to use that in their application to the state. The, um, the warrant would be contingent. The vote would be contingent on uh, the housing authority receiving that grant money. And should that not be the case, then we would not have a warrant article for affordable housing for this year. And since we must have a 10% minimum, it's my understanding that we'll probably uh, recommend adding another warrant article that would be our backup. In other words, should this be approved, we are more than meeting the goal. If it's not approved, we would need to vote to bring the 10% minimum into the affordable housing reserve, which is similar to what we did at the last two town meetings. I'm gonna ask for any questions on this one because it's quite confusing. A little more complicated than most. Uh, any questions, members of the board? Yes, Scott Rogers. Yeah, John, I just wanted to say thanks because that uh, I did the total and it was short by 20,000. I'm like, there's something <laughs> there's something missing. So thanks for filling. Yeah, uh, Jason Little was caught it. We went back and forth with some uh, late afternoon Friday emails. And it's my understanding he drafted a change and it just didn't quite make it to your packets. Yeah. Well, and of course, this tracks to, you know, what the what the committee did um, in, in reviewing these projects. So it was a was a complicated assembly and also a lot of good discussion, right, that came through um, through, the, through the committee. So uh, yeah, thanks, John, on those, that explanation. You're welcome. Any other questions or comments? Yes, Julia. Julia. Thank you. Okay, so just, just to be clear, um, do we go to town meeting and then the state says, okay, we'll, we'll match the money or? Is the state going to um, tell us before town meeting whether they're going to um, give us their match and the money for this? I can't say for sure the timing of that application. I know that the application was time sensitive, uh, which made the, uh, the, app the, the application by the housing authority time sensitive for this year. And so I, I think there's probably an opportunity that that could happen, but our expectation is that we, we may not know before town meeting, um, and, and we uh, the, the the application from housing authority needed to commit that the town would have the matching resources, and so the commitment that they've brought forward is that CPC has brought this to town meeting. That was sufficient for them to apply, and then hopefully get approved. Okay. Okay. All right. So so in the off chance that the state um, has too many applications and we don't get the full amount say, um, then would you modify the project or? There's no plan to modify the project. So it, I think it's a, it's an all for one. If there was some lesser grant, uh, I think that the housing authority would come back and reapply in, in a future year. Uh, this is the project and it's well laid out, but there's not a, uh, you know, a halfway build, build up that I'm aware of. Okay, thank you. So uh, thank you, John, for being here. Um, so thank what you. would the secondary or backup motion look like? That motion would be uh, 
very much similar to last year's town meeting motion. It would be a motion to approve the minimum 10% to the affordable housing reserve. And uh -huh. that 10% comes from the projected uh, FY23 revenue that our town accountant, Jason Little, set as 750,000. So therefore the Warren article would be for $75,000 to the reserve. Awesome, okay, great. Thank you for clarifying. And I get the, the, the remainder of the uh, recommended CPA spendings would go back to their respective uh, accounts. In this case, the unreserved account would not be spent for that amount of 486. The new fund revenues of 230 would not be spent, so they would go to unreserved and uh, the affordable housing reserve would not be spent, it would be added to. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, just a quick question, John. Um, considering that this is a building project, um, what has been the time span from when the original costing for this, I guess, was done, the cost estimate compared to recent inflationary effects <laughs> that, that might impact that? Uh, it's a good question. Um, it was our understanding from the presentation that sufficient contingency was put in. I know you've heard that before, but um, uh, it, it's my understanding that they believe the the total is adequate. Uh, probably they'll 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 be uh, flexible as to you know exactly what amenities you put into the the units. And there's some experience, obviously, from prior buildings that are put up for housing in Northborough and, and recent projects. Um, but I'm certainly not the expert on where the inflationary pressures would hit. Yeah. Thank you, John. Uh, any other questions on this one, board members? Uh, seeing none, uh, please proceed, John. Well, thank you. Um, as I said, we had many other applications. I'll briefly go through them. We had two in the historical, actually three in the historical preservation category. Uh, the first one was for uh, restoration of the Brigham Street burial ground, beautification, I should say. Uh, I believe you all know there was a burial ground in on Brigham Street, was uh, one of Northborough, if not the earliest burial area. It is uh, cordoned off, if you will, but um, has many uh, trees just waiting to fall on it. The majority of this cost or a good portion of it is for uh, tree removal and uh, safe clearing of the area. And uh, the other portion is for a beautification of it, fencing, uh, making sure it is uh, not only protected, but uh, called out to the town as a burial area. Um, and uh, we, we felt it was a good, good use of the project once it was fully explained to us. The uh, second article that is related to that was for additional signage at the Kaiser section of the Northborough Cemetery. This is the newer portion, but since it is over 50 years old, it still qualifies as, as an historic area. So the idea here is to put signage that identifies it more clearly and consistent signage with the Howard Street Cemetery area. The third historical uh, project was for the Historical Society building on Main Street, which has already been the recipient of some other CPA funds. In this case, they would restore the shutters that were part of the original building on uh, three sides, I believe. And this would bring it back to the way it looked in years past. Um, and again, uh, 
we thoroughly looked at this project of little consideration to the cost, but the historical society folks uh, are very good stewards for that building and uh, we continue to support bringing it back to its uh, original state and maintaining it. Any questions on the historical category articles? Hearing none, I'll keep going. Um, the next projects are in open space and recreation. Uh, the, the warrant uh, listing on your packet, the next one would be replacement fencing for Assabet Park. This is adding on to the park restoration project that was uh, already voted by the town using CPA funds. Uh, again, because of the inflationary factors we just spoke about, um, the money for fencing was not there. Uh, the, the committee considered that a bit um, concerned that we, we couldn't make the original budget work, but understanding the conditions, we did approve to bring it forward. Uh, I, I do understand that there's an, an opportunity for ARPA funds to cover this. And if that's the case, I believe we'd either eliminate or pass over this article. The next one on your listing is for uh, the design of the dog park, the potential dog park, uh, a popular topic in town. People are looking forward for many years and it's a, a priority both of the CPA to support it and also the town's master plan. This would not be to build the park itself, but would be the design study to look at sites, identify which are the best candidates uh, and, and look for all the conditions necessary to create that dog park. Uh, similarly, the next article on your listing is a design study for a trail at the senior center grounds that would be ADA accessible. There is an existing trail there now, but this project would be for the design of upgrading it so that the surface is sufficient for uh, wheelchairs and, and similar handicapped uh, travel and also um, travel by any other means that people would like on this trail. It's a beautiful layout. Um, would be very convenient for anyone visiting the senior center or attending the senior center to walk on it. So we think this is an excellent project. And this is sponsored by the trails committee who does great work in town, as I think you all know. And similarly, we have another article. This is again for the design study of pedestrian access over the aqueduct bridge. This has been talked about for years and it's been a priority, priority of the open space committee and the CPA has heard about it for some time. This would be the first stage of the design study to bring this forward. Um, we'll be presenting at town meeting uh, a number of, the, of the, th the benefits that this would hold in terms of basically connecting the entire uh, stretch of town through the aqueduct trail. Um, it, it is again uh, serving many of the goals of the master plan. And while expensive, it seems a, a necessary step to bring us closer to that goal. The last two articles uh, are really housekeeping. We must continue to pay the White Cliffs debt service that was approved by previous town meeting. This year it's down to $185,000. And the last article is for the administrative fund. By law, the CPC is able to recommend up to 5% of our projected uh, forward year revenue for the administrative account. This is used for uh, surveys, appraisals, other uh, project fees that we might need in our 
duties uh, to evaluate projects. And when it's not spent, it goes back into the unreserved reserves. So that was a lot. Do you have any more questions on the articles we br brushed over quickly? Uh, Kristen Wickstead. Hi, thanks, John. Um, so the, the senior center path, um, is there a map for where the where the ADA accessible path would be? Does yes, absolutely. Yes, there is. There was a preliminary map made. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure it's shown today on the trail maps that you can get on the town website, right. but it's readily available. It was part of the application. And so uh, a copy is in the town planner's office and I can share it with you individually if you'd like. That would be great. Yeah, if you could just email me that because um, I was at the Council on Aging meeting last week and they they were talking about it. And the only thing they said was it doesn't go around the pond. Um, but that left me sort of in the dark as to where it really does go. So I would like <laughs> I would like that. Thanks. That'd be nice. It's in and, that direction from the yeah. senior center, but I, uh, I, I did not plan screen sharing here tonight in the interest of time. Yeah, no, that's okay. And I, I, I'm trying to go quick because of we, we have a long meeting, but the other thing was um, the bridge. So the money would be for going across the bridge. Would it be for um, on the, the side of it that is um, over by uh, East Main Street too? Like th there's not much of a path there. Does, does it cover that too or just the bridge? Well, it covers uh, everything that we need to know to restore a safe surface on top of the bridge, uh -huh. not to mention uh, safety rails. Yeah. Um, it, it covers everything we need to know on both sides okay. and on the, um, on the uh, opposite side from what you're speaking about, there are power lines that have to be relocated. Uh, that has been explored. But part of this is to identify exactly what that's going to take and the cost. And then on the on the other side, um, I guess what, to answer your question, it doesn't cover crossing roads. For instance, part of the aqueduct crosses Route 20. Yeah. You know, and if you're going to walk the entire aqueduct, you either got to snake under that or cross the road. Mm -hmm. So in some cases, uh, that connectivity is is not addressed here. But everything that would take to make that path uh, part of the, the entire aqueduct trail, and then when you're on the Hudson Street side. It goes up, uh, you do cross um, Rice Ave there, and then you mm -hmm. can continue on if you've ever been over there. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, you know, it's a terrific trail for yeah. walking, uh, skiing, whatever you like to do. And uh, this connectivity brings us uh, across the town and also connecting to to the towns on the other side. So, yeah. um, it, you know, the, the ultimate goal would be not only the trail, but the beautification of, of the bridge and Mm -hmm. using it as an asset for connectivity in the town. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great thing. And it's probably a, a, a relatively slow process with the step-by-step -step thing. And the bridge would be a big step in that. But eventually at some point, it'd be nice to have some sort of safe tunnel sort of thing under Route 20. Because right now I have to kind of bend in half to do that part. But anyway, okay, thanks. I agree. You're welcome. Thank you, Kristen. Uh, Leslie. Hi, John. Quick question about the um, the Brigham Street burial ground. You you called that a beautiful beautification. 
Um, so that's primarily going to be um, tree removal, you said? Uh, a little more than half the cost, as I recall, was the tree removal, cleanup. There's uh, over 20 trees that are in, in need of cutting down. They're, you know, they could possibly be falling on it. So that's a considerable expense right there to bring in that equipment and, and clean it out. And then when they're done, uh, there'll be fencing put up, uh, not unlike what you see at the Newtown Common, um, you know, good, good stable fencing and sort of to establish it as a, you know, a, a sacred ground. So rather than people just walking over it and forgetting that there are uh, burial sites underneath, trying to establish it as a historic resource. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Yeah, I like the idea that there's going to be some sort of delineation. You, you do just drive by and you don't really notice it. And I think it, it'll true. be nice. It'll set it apart a little bit more and make it more recognizable as something, something like that. So I think that's terrific. Thank you. You're welcome. And as I mentioned at the beginning, um, we found a way to bring forth all of these projects, uh, even if some seem expensive, without uh, overspending our reserves. So there's no new borrowing here. Um, the, the committee has been a little conservative in the past with its reserves, making sure we had enough funds for the big projects that might come. I think the affordable housing project is one of those big ones that we expected. And uh, with little reluctance to spend down some of the reserves, we found a way to do it. And with the extra matching and revenue coming in, uh, we'll still have a sizable reserve to look at in the following year. Excellent. Any other questions? Julianne. Yeah, hi. So, um, so John, you and I both serve on master plan implementation. And what our first charge is to work on the downtown area, which um, the Asabet Park is part of. Um, so the fence that we will be purchasing, does, uh, is there any way of um, knowing what kind of fence that is? If it's something that will be, you know, it, this is kind of our gateway into the, into the downtown area. And, uh, you know, we, I haven't discussed this with MPAIC, but I think that, you know, visually it'd be nice to have an attractive fence there. So what does this $20,000 buy us? Well, from the applicant, it, it's uh, standard, but high quality fencing. And part of the reason that they've asked for it is that the fencing that exists on the uh, Route 135 side is deteriorated. And to your point, does not paint a good initial impression when you see the park. And since so much is being done on the inside uh, with all of the, uh, the recreation facilities and making it ADA compliant, uh, that's why they came to us to add this money for the fencing that, that couldn't be covered by the original budget. But it is not um, too, too elaborate. It has to be uh, solid fencing, solid chain link, as opposed to just, uh, you know, uh, wood ties as on the town common. Um, so I see your point, but you know, right now I think 20,000 just covers good quality standard fencing, probably black in color. So it blends a little better than, than, you know, than white or something like that. So there's no way of, of doing something other than chain link. Is that what you're saying? That's my understanding from the applicant and the estimates. So, uh, if, 
again, cost escalating so much, anything more than that, I, I understood really to be maybe beyond what they were willing to ask for. Um, so at this time, that's all we were able to consider. Oh, okay. And then you mentioned um, that we're also going to be discussing ARPA funds for this. So maybe with a little additional money, we could we could do a little bit of an upgrade and maybe even give ourselves time to talk about it amongst the MPIC people. So, um, okay. Thank you. Yeah, I, I wouldn't rule that out. It's my understanding the board will be discussing those funds separately. Right. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Any other comments, questions by board members? Uh, seeing none. Uh, John, thank you very much. As always, uh, Community Preservation Committee is just a fine-tuned machine, and we appreciate all the diligence and everything that goes into the project evaluations and uh, and the thoughtful proposals that come forward uh, each year. So. Thank you very much. Appreciate you being here tonight. You're very kind. We appreciate your support as always. Okay. Thank you, John. Take care, John. Thank you. And next up, we have Planning Board Chair Carrie Martinick presentation on zoning town meeting warrant articles. Hello, how are you? Good yep, evening, Carrie. Hello. Scrolling forward in my packet to the zoning bylaws. <laughs> and again? I'm scrolling forward in my packet from yes. the CPC uh, articles to the zoning uh, bylaws here. Yes. So let me open up my packet as well. I'm going to go in order of what we have here. So let me back it up. Starting with Article 32. Let's see. Okay, so normally Kathy does this presentation. So what I was planning to do is just really give a super high level of why we are putting this forward. And then if there are any questions on it, I can certainly answer questions. Are there other items that Kathy usually covers as part of this presentation that would be helpful? I think for the most part, she uh, goes through just the overview of the articles that are being presented. Um, some. Uh, rationale maybe for why uh, the changes are being made and perhaps a schedule going forward about when planning board will be doing uh, its uh, public hearing about the articles. Okay, great. So I will do that. So starting with the first one, this is regarding signs. So if you look through here, and I don't know, are you, do you want me to pull this up or you just want me to speak to it from the packet? Uh, if it's easier for you to uh, to share that, then uh, we can see what it is you're looking at. That would be sure. fine. Okay, let's see if I can share. Okay, can everybody see this? Yes. Great. Okay, so first starting with the signs bylaw. So primarily this was created to take a look at illuminated and externally lit signs. What we did is we created the definitions for them and then we removed internally lit signs from the downtown district. While we were working on this, we also cleaned up a few other areas that we had been looking at. So you can see through here, different changes that we made. And if you want us to talk more about any one of them, we can. There are quite a few in here, so I don't wanna take up too much time going through them. But you can see we went through as a board and we sat down and we looked at um, 
cleaning up areas like, for example, just looking at flag and banner. For a flag, we had C banner is very circular and didn't make a whole lot of sense. So what we tried to do, and here you can see we added the definition for externally illuminated sign, um, just really went through and did some cleanup on things that no longer made sense or things that were actually happening um, that, that fit the definition a little bit better. So, for example, we talked about different roof signs and the definitions for that and how um, we thought we were saying one thing, but maybe it, we, we were saying something completely different. So um, we went through all of them. We had Bob, Bob Frederico joined us for most of this conversation to help work through a lot of this since he deals with it primarily in his day to day. So let's see if there's anything else of note to mention here. Uh, we did add some language about nonconformity. So just what, what happens when signs are nonconforming. So you can see here we added um, some language around nonconforming signs. So that's in there. Uh, just a question about that. Sure. What is the... Um... I guess what is the, um, the trigger? that would, I'm sorry, getting a little echo here. Um, the trigger that would require uh, the owner of a sign or something to bring it into compliance if it's non-conforming to begin with. So if you, a new tenant came in, so if you were previously, uh, I guess grandfathered is no longer the way we wanna say it. If you were, if, if a new business came in and there was a sign, you had previously been allowed to have illuminate, an illuminated sign, but it's no longer allowed, you would have to update your sign. Or if it was destroyed or you needed to add, um, change the business name or change anything about the sign, um, you would then have to conform with the bylaw. Okay, is there anything um, financially burdensome or anything like that that, that a sign owner could uh, cite? as to to remain non-conforming depending on yeah, the no i think as long as you're if you have a sign and you're in this district and you um you would be i'm trying to think um we changed we try not to say grandfather but i'm going to use it because it's the mm -hmm. easiest to kind of under put into context you would be grandfathered in so it's not like we'd put this bylaw into place and all of a sudden anyone with this sign i'm sorry anyone with it say they had an illumina illuminated internally lit sign um, they wouldn't all of a sudden have to drop Forty thousand dollars to get a new sign. They would be grandfathered okay. in. It would be if a new, if they wanted to do a new sign, or they a new business came in, or the sign was destroyed, or something to that effect. That's when it would trigger having to update your sign. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. All right. Whoops. Wrong one. All right. Let's see. And then I'm trying to see if there's anything else here of interest. Okay. So this is where it's prohibited. So electronic message centers are prohibited um, in most of the most districts, except for highway. And then internally illuminated signs are prohibited now in downtown business. Also in residential, except for agriculture. I think that's a little further down. Here we go. Um, so here you can see the res residential district. This is a long one, so bear with me here. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Uh, 
I think the only thing left here may be the historical markers, but I'll scroll through just in case. Here we go. Yep, that's the last one, the historical signs and markers. So this is uh, just stating that they won't be subject to this bylaw. Okay. Yeah. And then we also spent some time talking about trying to be sensitive to whether we talked a lot about flags or light, um, little decorative lights and things like that. So we took a closer look down here. So if you took a look, let's see. These should be signs that where a permit isn't required. So these types of signs don't require a permit from the building inspector. So this is where we talked about things that if you had a flag, we would be under this section or um, obviously now the historic signs or non-commercial messages like open or closed or you know, special mm -hmm. event or things like that. So we talked about, you know, what kind of impact would it have on businesses downtown if we were to put this into place and just trying to make sure that this was a re responsibly crafted bylaw that um, sort of met our goals, but wasn't something to your point, Jason, that would all of a sudden a business has to pay money to change their sign or anything like that. Okay, any questions here? I have a question. You can't. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, board members, if you have questions, uh, uh, speak at, up and ask to be recognized. I can't, with the sharing, I can't see all of you at the same time. Uh, so can I ask my question? Yes, Julian, please. Okay. So with the, with the lighting and or the electronic message board, what does that mean for the sign that's in the center of town right now? Is that considered an electronic message board? The lion sign? Right. Um, it doesn't impact that sign. Uh, for some reason, I think the lion sign is exempt. Is it? A, no, it's not a municipal sign, but there were some signs like I know the schools are exempt. Um, there are certain signs that are exempt, like gas station signs are exempt. Certain signs are exempt. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you. Jason? Unless Yep. Oh, okay, good. I'm glad that I'm not on mute because I couldn't see myself to unmute myself. Okay. Um, Carrie, <laughs> thank you, Carrie, for explaining that. Uh, can you explain what was, what's the main reason? What, what, what triggered you to want to delve into signage and illuminated from the interior signs and so forth downtown? What is the goal here? Yeah, so we, as we're going forward with some of the master planning that we're doing and talking about downtown and making changes there, um, a couple of board members noticed that a lot of the towns around us have started to prohibit those signs downtown and make a shift towards, um, you know, the signs that are that the nice wooden signs or that have like the nice gooseneck lamps that just create a whole different look and feel of the downtown. And, um, as we saw that in the surrounding towns, we thought that, you know, it's a, it's a look that as we develop our own downtown could really change, uh, just take that little step further to change what our downtown looks like and um, something that we could do without significant impact and just to beautify our downtown um, in that in that small way, uh, just as part of master plan and um, moving forward there and, and making changes going forward. Okay, so it's kind of you're sort of looking to give town a more quaint look. I'm not really quite sure what word I'm looking for here, but 
you feel they illuminated signs, for example, give things a more harsh look and you're looking to soften the appearance. Is that kind of summarize it? Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Okay. okay. I, I had a, a comment. Yes, Kristen. Okay. Um, so I think with um, all the work, the my husband is sneezing in the next room. I hope you can't hear him. Um, he sneezes really loud. I, I think with all the work the Master Plan Implementation Committee is doing um, to, and, and all the talk around town, um, there's quite a buzz about economic development in downtown. I think people are really inspired by Hudson. I, I love this idea and it's totally a detail thing that I never would have thought of, um, but I'm really, I think it's a, I think it's a nice touch. So thanks for doing all that work. It looks like a lot of work. <laughs> uh, this one, Amy Pratsky and Anthony Zayton really worked through this one. I, I'm just presenting, but they did the lion's share of the work. Okay. Well, thanks to them. Uh, yeah, why don't you go ahead, Carrie, to the next one? Sure. Okay, Article 33. This allows, so we've been talking about this for a couple of years now. Last year, we almost went to town meeting with it, and the last minute we pulled it. But we're finally putting forward, um, it's brew pub, nanobreweries, microbreweries, and then brewery distilleries or wineries, which for right now is still, you'll see in the use table, a no for the districts. But we put in all of the definitions to go take sort of baby steps towards this one to see how it goes, make sure we don't have any issues, see if there's anything we need to fine tune. But in the meantime, we wanted to allow for this use just as a way to um, kind of take a, a look at the uses that we have in town and open it up to something different and new. And, and Kristen, you brought up uh, economic development. This is just another area that we could start to excel at as we've seen towns around us do. So we added the definitions. So this is what's up here. And then we add them to our use table to show its di which districts. And as I mentioned, you can see the brewery, distillery, wineries are still no's in the district. Um, but that's something that maybe we open up over time as we feel a little more confident in what we have set up for some of the smaller options here. So you can see the additions added to our hospitality and food services group of the use table. Then we set up parking um, just for each option here. This is actually, in a, it's a different, in a different section, but we've combined it all, definitions, use table, and parking, all within the same uh, article. Any questions? Carrie, would you just, uh, I, I can't remember what um, DB, BE, especially HB, what do those stand for? Sure. On the table? Yep, downtown business, business east, business west, west business south, highway business, industrial. Then BA, um, yes, obviously is yes. BA is a ZBA permit um, and PB is a planning board permit. Okay, all right, thank you. You're welcome. And then for anybody else, um, if you look at our zoning bylaws, there's a zoning district map within our bylaws and you can always look there if you're not sure. And you can actually see an outline of what the zones look like. I can hold it up, but you may not. So you can see sort of what, what everything is. And then there's a a key that tells you that you can see the corresponding colors and see which districts are which. So if you're ever wondering where to find that. 
I'm glad you have that at your fingertips. <laughs> I always do. <laughs> Thank so, you. I, um, excuse me. So I, that the wise just mean yes. You don't need a permit. Is that what that means? It's allowed. Allowed by right. So you by right. Okay, I got it. Quick question. Uh, sure, Scott. Yeah, and probably top in more details we get into planning board and uh, public hearing, but um, was there consideration if you're looking to do stimulate economic development to reduce the amount of permits that are required and do more by right? That's a good question. I think we wanted to be a little careful with this one because we don't really have a, as a town experience in this in opening it up. So I think as we go forward, maybe those no's become special permits and the special permits become by rights, just as we get a little more um, confidence and some more experience with these types of um, pro projects coming forward. Do you have anything specific in mind that you look at when you look at this use table or just a thought? Yeah, that was it. That is it in general. And then I think as we get maybe further into master planning and some of the specifics for for downtown, maybe even some restaurants go to yeses. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thanks. Uh, I'm gonna let me. Uh, I'm gonna bring in uh, uh, zoning enforcement officer. Bob Frederico, who's uh, on here as well. Okay, does Bob have a question? Hello, Bob. Uh, you're on mute, Bob. Okay, hi, everybody. Um, good evening, I just wanted to um, uh, go back in history just a little bit. <clears throat> With um, with Carrie uh, about kind of the genesis about the brew pubs and the microbreweries and distilleries, um, <clears throat> as Carrie said a couple of years ago, um, I was approached by uh, members of the planning board and said, if we were to do a brewery, how would it be permitted? You know, would it be permitted under light manufacturing? Would it be under hospitality, a restaurant, you know, liquor store, whatever? <clears throat> and um, uh, I think this language is set up so that it would be easier and kind of a more streamlined um, uh, approach so that the, the, the definitions and the parameters are already set. So we don't have to think about and, and kind of worry about, is it light manufacturing? Is it processing? Is it warehousing? Is it a restaurant? Um, so I, I, I think the, in terms of the, the, the brewery and the winery um, um, set up for this year, um, I think it streamlines a lot of the um, questions that otherwise would, would have been around if this language was not here. Yeah. Right. Thank you, Bob. Uh, any other questions, board members, uh, for this particular item? And seeing none, uh, go ahead, Carrie, continue, please. Okay, Article 34 is um, related to enforcement, and this was uh, something we worked on as a belt and suspenders approach. It's it's the things that 
um, Bob Frederico is already doing, but it just gives um, everyone a clear idea of the process. So whether that's residents, boards, whoever the case, um, it's just clear here in black and white. Uh, this was that's that's pretty much the purpose of this one. And this we actually looked more closely at too with town council a little bit. Just to make sure, because as you recall, we did um, we did some. There was a revised language last year, I believe. Was that last? I think that was last year. So we worked through this with town council just to make sure everything still jived into place, and uh, just again provide that belt and suspenders type approach. Can I ask a question about the phrasing there? Um, sure. So in that paragraph, the larger paragraph, beginning enforcement request. This one? Uh, yes. Um, uh, mid, mid to the end of the third line, uh, where it's stating uh, uh, bylaw permit decree there under has been, is being, and then it says, or is likely to be violated. I guess I'm wondering whose subjective judgment <laughs> is it uh, to determine that uh, that anything was likely to be violated. Uh, actually, I guess Bob has the answer to that. Bob? Yes, Mr. Chairman. Um, in response to that inquiry, um, it's something that we already do now. Um, uh, violation complaints come in uh, on written form. And then uh, once I receive it, uh, I do take go out and I take a look and, and, and see what the, what, what the complainer the complainant is 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 talking about and um sometimes uh what they're talking about or what they're complaining about is actually no violation at all um so then again sometimes there is a violation so the first thing i do is i take the violation enforcement request and i investigate you know um sometimes it's just a drive by the property sometimes it's a chat with the building owner um but you know the first thing i need to do is make sure that the complaint is legitimate in terms of any kind of an enforceable action. Um, so that's why uh, when the language is there that says, or is likely to be violated, then I shall make cause or be made investigation of the facts, okay, including the inspection of the property where the violations may exist. So um, basically it's it's kind of a gatekeeping operation. Um, I, get, I do get many complaints that um, have no enforcement through zoning or building, um, sometimes I would refer those complaints to um, uh, sometimes the town engineer, sometimes the town uh, uh, DPW directors, sometimes the Board of Health. Okay, so um, basically I make sure that whatever is coming into me is something that I have the authority to deal with. And if I don't, I, I try to push it to the proper department that can take care of it. Okay. So the 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 determination of is likely to be is really coming from you in your role as zoning enforcement officer. Right. It it's not the subjective uh, uh, determination of of someone who observes something and. No, because there's there's a lot of people that um, you know just just don't have an in depth knowledge of the zoning requirements, and you know if they do have a, uh, a complaint. It could be a zoning issue, but it could be an issue that's you know, by somebody else in town. Uh, could be the conservation, it could be the town engineer or whoever. So um, basically we take a look at 
what it is. And if it is something in zoning, then we follow that follow that path. Gotcha. Thank you. Appreciate the uh, clarification. Mm -hmm. Jason, if I can follow up on your comment, I think I read it the same way as that triplet being past, present, and future, but the triplet is definitely a violation. I see a violation, or there may be a violation pending investigation. So it's right. not right. past, right. present, future. It's proven or not proven. Yep. Yep. Thanks, Bob. Mm -hmm. uh, very good. Uh, is there more that you want to uh, point out in this, Carrie? Uh, no, no, unless there, if, unless there are any questions, I'll move to the next one. The, um, I just want to ask the, um, the, uh, the fines are essentially what we passed last year. Is that right? The progression of increasing fines for a, yes. for a succession of violations, I guess. Right. Right. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Okay. So moving on to use variances. So this particular article is to remove, to prohibit use variances. And the reason we looked at this one is because we've been um, advised time and time again that if we ever want to modernize our zoning, we really need to reconsider the using, uh, relying on use variances. Um, one thing that we talked about was that in a way, use variances circumvent the legislative body's ability to decide on their town's bylaws in that you know, you have a small board voting on whether or not something should be allowed. Um, whereas if you do want something allowed, you should just change your bylaws to allow for it rather than put use variances in place. So for those reasons, um, we talked a lot about it. I think this is something that has come forward a couple times to town meeting at certain points and phases. Um, but these are the particular reasons that this board talked about when it came to use variances. Any questions, board members? I'm having to scroll through everybody to see if anybody has a hand raised or not. Yeah, I've got one. Uh, Scott Rogers. Yeah. And we can probably go in more detail in the, in the planning board public hearing. But, um, Carrie, I can't remember if the board talked about the potential positive uses of use variances. And I'm, I, what made me think of that is, you know, we didn't have definitions for microbreweries. So, if one wanted to come through, would a use experience have been a method to, to get a microbrewery into town? Well, so that's a great point, but would you want five people to decide that or the town to be able to decide that? So in my preference, I would want residents to say, yes, we want, that's why we added it as a bylaw tonight, right? We want residents to say, yes, we want microbreweries in our town. Yes, we want this in our town. And if you don't want something, whatever is not permitted, it should be prohibited. So we have a lot of trouble with that. Use variances should actually be granted sparingly. Um, and there's specific, very specific criteria. Um, the board also talked about um, in some cases where the criteria maybe falls, is a little um, not as stringent as maybe it could be. So, you know, do we need to take a second look at what, what's happening with our use variances? And if we do want something permitted, just get it in the bylaw. Come, come to the, come to one of the boards and and bring it forward, and and the board can help bring it forward as a bylaw versus going around the back door to a use variance. 
I wouldn't characterize it as backdoor. That's a no, not in a bad that's way. A board, but just like, that's a board that that approves a <laughs> permit and and has yeah. public hearings. So I, yeah, no, I don't mean it in a way of backdoor. I mean in a way of back around the legislative body. So rather than go through the legislative body, you go through a smaller board to put through a use variance. And in some cases, it's not fully representative of what maybe the town collectively would want. So I think that's the sensitivity there. Okay, thanks for explaining. You're welcome. I I have a, a comment. Yes, Krista. Um, thanks. So I feel like um, maybe I, I just don't see as much of this as um, as I would like to or whatever. I don't know if this is everything, but so if somebody tries to say, like, I feel like for a while there was a lot of, when I was following the planning board more, there seemed to be a lot of use variances for, well, this is a area where it's groundwater one or two or whatever, um, but we want to build on it. So we'll just get a variance so we can build on it. Is it is it to, to prevent um, companies from just, it just seemed so easy for so many people to um, kind of, we had environmental, you know, rules in our bylaws and the, the variances were allowing um, builders sometimes to, you know, not follow the bylaws. At least that's the way it came across. So is that is that partly what this is for, envir environmental reasons? So uh, a use variance is never approved by the planning board. It's always ZBA. But that is the case where in, there were some cases over the past year where use variances were... Um, taking the place of the special permit on groundwater. So there is that as well that I think is an added benefit, not necessarily the primary reason in this case, but that's certainly a factor. Okay. So it was more of a groundwater thing than a general environmental thing. Right. So the right. And I, so those were those happened to be the most recent use variances that we had come to the board. But not that's not only what a use variance would be for. You could have a use variance in any district whatsoever. It just so happened there were certain, like I think, um, well, certain uses aren't permitted on groundwater. And in the case of a use variance, it would be allowed on groundwater. And then on top of that, you, you're, there's no special permit associated with that. So it's not coming to the planning board in that case, unless the use requires a special permit, which can be the case. It gets a little tricky, so I don't want to make it too circular for you, but right. bottom line, it's a it's an added factor. Okay. So it's a protection. You're trying to protect. Well, in this case, I think the primary reason was more about um, just making sure that if we wanted certain uses allowed in districts, we should just make it part of our bylaws in general, not a use, not a use variance. And I will say that um, this does not impact dimensional variances. So if somebody had a sign, a lot of times there are dimensional variances that go forward. They want to have a bigger sign, or uh, we must get more of those than any other variances come through. Um, there's no, as you can see here, it's not even crossed out. So dimensional or density requirements um, are still allowed variances. Okay. All right. Back to signs. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Okay. 
Any other? Uh, yeah, why don't you continue, Carrie, if there are no other questions about this one? Sure. Now, for rezoning South Street. So I'm not sure, this, I noticed this was in the warrant. I don't know if we need this actually in the warrant. Is this something that can be removed? It's not really part of the bylaw. It was a description that I think came with the memo. Uh, in the warrant article, sometimes you have these explanatory uh, things that are not like embodied in the motion, if that's what you mean. Okay. All right. It just seemed like this one and there was another one that may have had that. That's fine with me. I just didn't know yeah. if you wanted it in there. So in this case, there was a 37 South Street, as it says here, pretty self-explanatory. It was just in the wrong zoning district. And our new planner, Laurie Connor, sent over... If I switch to a new PDF, can you see it? Do you see a zoning map or no? Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Oh, you see it? Okay, great. I so agree. you can rotate it, Karen. Okay. Hold on here. Easier said than done. Top, top right, top I think. On the, on the far right, top. The little. Oh, there it is. Sorry, my Zoom um, box is blocking it. All right, let's see. Here we go. Okay. So this is a little area. This is the district. This is the um, piece of land right in here. So really, it's just what happened was at some point, this land was divided in half by the two different zones. Um, and, and the applicant came to the board and asked if we could just put it back in the right spot so that they, what was happening is they continually had to come forward to the boards every time a new tenant was in. And it was just didn't make a whole lot of sense for them. So we reviewed it and decided that this made the best sense just to fix um, placing it from general residential into downtown business. We also um, took the time to hear from the abutters there just to make sure there weren't any issues and no abutter, um, the three abutters sent letters of support for this. So we felt pretty confident that it was the right thing to do. Any questions on this one? Seems very straightforward for this one. Okay. Uh, Article 37, so this was a housekeeping item that um, Kathy had submitted before she left. Um, it was just something, as you can read here, um, that we had to clean up regarding two family dwellings. Any questions here? No. Okay. All right, so Article 38 and 39 actually come a little bit hand in hand. And what I wanted to say also when we get to the definitions is that I noticed they were split into two articles. I think they may need to just be one, but we can get to that in a second. So we have two different options here. This is regarding our distribution and transportation uses. We, the planning board has put forward a temporary moratorium and also uh, definite revised definitions um, and a revision to the use table. The thought being that if the moratorium pass, passes, then we would pass over the definitions um, and use the moratorium. So I'll start with that one. The moratorium, we've done them in the past before. Um, I think we did them with two families. We did them with solar in the past. I think solar in the past as well. Um, this is just related to a lot of the issues that we've been seeing. I know your, your board has heard a lot as well and, and done a lot over the last year 
related to these issues. The thought is, is that a temporary moratorium will give us time to look at some of the things that are coming up and just talk about solutions in terms of what we can do as a town to make sure we have bylaws that protect us um, and almost future-proof them a little bit. A lot of what we're doing is based on bylaws that the last update for was 2009. And with e-commerce, things have changed so much faster than we all anticipated, and it continues to just move faster than we can keep up with. So the thought is, do we need to put something in place to just take a look at what's happening in e-commerce, what may be happening, and how can we just make sure our bylaws are in the right place to withstand it going forward? As part of this moratorium, we'd want to put together um, a committee to really look at, uh, we listed a few items here. It, could, it may not include all of these items, but in terms of justifying a moratorium, we wanted to list some things that we, we could review or wanted to take into account. Um, and then have a committee that would be that would come back and actually I don't think this is the most up to date version but um, a committee that would come back so that we could come to the next town meeting with really what this next section is here. And perhaps more so first i'll stop here and have questions if you have any questions on the moratorium. Um, there are a couple items here. Um, what is the geographic scope, I guess, of this? I, I realize that uh, traffic flows through the entire town, but obviously we have certain areas that uh, have high co higher concentrations of uh, uh, trucking and facilities and stuff like that. And uh, when you refer to traffic impact studies, is that, are those the geographic areas you're looking to get information on? So I think for this particular moratorium, our distribution and transportation uses are primarily in the industrial district. So I think it would really be focusing on a lot of the data we already have. I think there have been a lot of studies done in that are industrial areas in general. And you know, just to whatever extent we can take a closer look at that. Certainly traffic may be an issue throughout town, but the particular scope of this moratorium focuses on the industrial districts. Okay. And uh, in the bullet list of uh, potential topics, um, I think some of these are clear. Um, I can't say that I think that I really understand what truck and van restriction zones uh, refers to. Yeah, that would just be something to look into that other towns are using as part of best practices and just to even review it. And maybe it's as simple as reviewing and saying that doesn't make sense for us, but just things like things where we can get a better understanding of what towns in similar situations are looking at for their zoning to see if it makes sense for ours. Uh, okay. Um, I still not <laughs> clear on on a, a van restriction, for instance, what exactly is a van restriction zone? You're saying you're prohibiting- Well, I think that has to do with from, last mile. Uh, so a lot of the vans are the last mile deliveries. So if you had um, some sort of restriction on last mile uses, so the, um, when I say last mile, I just mean, you know, when you see the um, delivery trucks, like all the vans out there that do that sort of mm -hmm. within a certain 10 mile radius of the distribution zone, like just that, that type of use, uh, which is actually listed next in our definitions, would we put any restrictions there or um, 
what kind of conditions may make sense or anything that we can do there. Okay. And uh, I, the requirement for delivery vehicles to be registered in the same municipality to capture excise tax, I, I guess I would wonder whether it's even legal to impose that. Yeah, I, I mean, so again, these would be things that, that, that would be the prime reason why we'd have a committee to review it closer and, and, and find out, is that something that we could even do? I think, obviously, I think that's something that would come out of not a planning board, um, under the purview of the planning board either. So if it is something, it's really just, we reviewed it, we looked at it, here's our recommendation. And the boards on the end and the receiving end could say, well, that's that's not something we want to move forward with, or it is. But at least we took the time to look at it and consider it and see if it makes sense for our community. Okay. Uh, Mr. Chair. Uh, Leslie, yeah. Oh, sorry, just a quick question. Uh, uh, you know, there are some, some items listed here. Um, I would probably word the, the last line of the info as the scope of the review may, be, may include, but is not limited to because that way this doesn't look like, you know, you're going to pluck from this list, you know, just kind of gives you more freedom to, to add things as you see necessary. So that's a good suggestion. To what extent, because I did notice that there are some, um, so I did notice that I think town council had edited some definitions that I didn't see edited here. And then if we wanted to add things like this, uh, if the, are we able to fine tune some of this from after this meeting that would reflect yeah. that so that we don't through, have to make multiple through, amendments? On through the, the chair, if I, if I may. So the point of tonight is to, to close the warrant to any new articles outside of the board, but the, between now and the posting of the warrant on the 28th, is to finalize the language and have with town council review primarily. So that's the that's the point of it. And I know a lot of this kind of came in last minute. So um, some of it may not represent the latest uh, edits from uh, either the planning board or town council. So, but, but it gives a general gist of what the point of the article is. But so there will be time to edit, particularly town council edits Yeah, question, maybe uh, this is a good time to pose it along this line that at the beginning, I think Jason mentioned the, the overall schedule. So Carrie, what are, you, what are you thinking in terms of additional changes that might come from the meeting tomorrow night and then changes that might come from public hearing? Are you, are you still thinking April 5th for that? So um, I was on mute for a second. I lost connection and came back. But so John, thank you for that. Um, that's good to know. Um, and Leslie, that's a good suggestion to, to edit that. So I'll flag that um, for a for an edit there. And then Scott, for your question about the hearing, that is going to be the, let's see. Let me confirm that we got, I, we had to put out a notice of the hearing and I just wanna confirm that it is the, it may be the 19th. No, it's the fifth, it's the fifth, the public hearing. Okay, so we'll have, I guess that sets us up right that any changes that come out of the public hearing won't be in the posted warrant 
and I know it's it's we've had to do this in prior years when when things weren't ready in time that the motions at town meeting right then contain details that are different than what's posted in the warrant so um it looks like we're going to have that situation again that if there are changes that come from the public hearing on the fifth after the warrant is posted uh subsequent to the 28th i guess that's unfortunate but it's the situation we're in due to the schedule and so that's I guess it's going to be a lot harder for you at town meeting to to then you know explain the differences between the packages that everybody's you know prepared for and then there's going to there could be variations uh, I don't know how much you'll accomplish tomorrow night but I don't know are you are you having public comments tomorrow night um tomorrow I mean, you're still going to have to have the public hearing but as an yeah, opportunity to get public yeah. input before the warrant closes or posts. Perhaps I have to take a closer look at the agenda. We still have a um, we have a site plan special permit tomorrow night as well. So perhaps I would. Uh, I've certainly we've been accepting comments throughout the process. So Ooh, unless unless I've messed you up and you have to advertise on the agenda that there's going to be public comments, I guess that's not fair. I don't have to advertise people public don't know comments. That there's going to be public comments. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't have to advertise public comments. I have to advertise a public hearing and the hearing is April 5th. I think if there are comments after the fact, I mean, we could read a written change if need be or make an amendment on the floor. I don't anticipate a tremendous amount of change. I think the biggest changes from my standpoint right now would be from town council that we're just waiting on. Those would be the significant ones that I'd want to make sure were reflected in the final warrant. And I guess even if you if you solicited written public comments before the public hearing, you don't have an opportunity to then deliberate on those. So even if we the public tried to submit their comments early, you don't well, between have now a and tomorrow. Which, yeah, I mean, but that's kind of late because yeah. the public doesn't know to do it. So there's, I guess, I'm just trying to figure out a way to help you get your changes in on time. Yeah, I mean, any, like I said, we've been open to public comments over the several meetings that we've been talking about the bylaws. Anyone can, can email the planning board as well. And then hopefully we're in a good spot. And worst case, if there's a significant change, we'll just have to read any changes um, on the floor or, or accept amendments on the floor. Yeah, that's the way it is. Okay. Okay, anything else on this one? Okay, so part two of this. The next thing we talked about was if we were to elect to not do a moratorium, we still need to fix our definitions over in industrial um, in terms of our distribution and transportation uses. So what we've done here is we've broken it down a little bit further, whereas before we only had a few different definitions, we've added um, several more to, to sort of align ourselves with the way e-commerce is today. So you can see we've added fulfillment center, package, freight delivery facility, and delivery station um, to our bylaws. Also fixed warehouse to add distribution. Um, this is something where I think town council is adding, um, has recommended we keep warehouse in here as well. So that's just the final thing we need to review with him. 
but that is um, not not a significant uh, does not change the intent of this bylaw in any way. It's just fixing the definitions. And then um, as part of that, and this could, is where I oh go ahead. If I could interject here, Carrie, um, as I'm reading through these, I guess it. Uh, I, I find it almost distracting, I guess, that several of these have that little uh, addendum statement to say what it is not. You know, the warehouse with distribution has to say that it's not intended to include a fulfillment center. The fulfillment or the package and freight says it's not a fulfillment center or a warehouse with distribution. And then the delivery station says it's not something else also. So it, it seems to me that uh, they're in part defining what they are and, and trying to clarify it by not. saying what they're also not. And it just, for me anyway, calls into question whether the definitions really are sufficient to distinguish them. Well, you know, it's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point, Jason. It's it, it, they, The lines blur so much with these definitions, but at the same time, you want to make sure that applicants are in the right spot because then it impacts really where it comes into play is when you start getting the use table because then you can see so for now we have obviously a lot of no's which we talked about before being that as we want to open them up we, we can start to reconfigure our use table but if if we if if an applicant wants to be in a certain fit a certain definition because it's a better um, it's maybe by right in the use table, then you can start to, you know, work with the gray line. So the, the point was really just to make it super clear that the, the definitions, uh, really, if you're a, famil a fulfillment center, you can't kind of sneak into something different. Um, mm -hmm. It's a good question that maybe if we have the opportunity to mention a town council, if that's necessary, as he reads it or not. Um, Just an observation. I, I saw that yeah. many of them were going out of their way to say point. that we're all. Well, I'm not really this. I'm not really that. So. I know. <clears throat> I know. It's a battle sometimes to be. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mr. Chairman. Uh, yes, John. Just a comment because uh, the question was whether or not these should be one or two articles. And the idea oh, right. is if if they were separated, uh, if Article um, 38 passes then you would pass over Article 39. If Article 38 fails, you would still proceed with Article 39. Right. That's contingency. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, but Article 30, I don't know if you need Article 40. You need Article 39 and 40. 30, could you put the use table in with 39 and keep it together? Are you saying 39 and 40 should yeah. be? 39 40 the use table and definitions would usually go together but if that messes up your whole format I, i'm sure no 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 this, that, this is what we're trying to iron out right now so i can okay. we'll take a look at that okay so i think those could go together it would make um, sense that the two of those would yeah really be one consolidated uh okay effort there uh, and then again, if town council updates the definitions here, would there be an added line? These have not changed. This is the same. Obviously, this we added with distribution. The reason we're working with town council is because um, we're making sure that we haven't created a non-conforming use 
So that's something that he's taking a closer look at. So that's something that we'll be looking to finalize. And then as we got, again, like we did with the brewery, as we got more information or more confident, we can start to um, reconfigure the use table a little bit. Anything else here? Okay. And finally, this is the floodplain overlay district. And I would be way over my skis to even try to explain this. This is what Fred has described as just aligning with some of the federal requirements, it sounds like. So this was really something that Fred worked through um, quite diligently. I'm afraid I can't answer a whole lot of questions about it, but I can always bring it back to Fred or anyone on the board wanted to email Fred about this particular one. Okay. We can. Just a chair, I have a small typo. If, uh, yes, or I can wait till tomorrow night if needed. No, do you see if you see it? Down in section D for permitted uses. What are you on? Um, are you on the truck? Page thirty-six. Yeah, page thirty-six of the of the package here. And actually, a resident caught this one too earlier today. Okay. It's just that, um, see how the, the first item one is struck out and then the second item one is added. So that should be underlined. Ah, okay. Thank you. And I think Fred was already aware of it. He's had an email discussion with the resident as well. Okay, thank you. Uh, just uh, through the chair. Um, yes, sure. Before you do move on, I, I did want to make note that um, she's been waiting in the wings here, but our new town planner, Lori uh, Connors, hopefully she's still on, uh, is on the call if the board would like to, to oh. meet her. Please. Yes. We didn't, we didn't put her on the hook here tonight, but but obviously she's here because uh, she wants to know, uh, hear the discussion, so. Great. Mr. Chair? Yes, I thought I had uh, promoted her to panelist. Oh, here she is, I'm sorry, she moved. She put up her hand and moved to the top. She, she put her... That seems this to be a recurring issue. Second time it's happened to me is I'm going to click somebody and, and they raise their hand and they just, they leap away from my cursor. Hello, Lori. Hi, I'm sorry. This is my, uh, my first meeting with your version of, uh, of conducting a session. So I'm a little unfamiliar with how you do things, but um, I am thankful to meet all of you. And I appreciate uh, certainly that uh, I am able to join your staff as town planner. Very excited uh, to be a new member of the team. I started last Monday, so I'm still getting my feet wet. And um, I, I look forward to working with each of you. 
Uh, thank you, Laurie. Uh, we're just very, very pleased to have you on board. Uh, uh, when John made the announcement, uh, certainly your uh, experience, credentials, and everything are just exemplary and uh, just uh, wonderful, wonderful to have you uh, here in Northboro. Thank you. Leslie. Okay, quick question for Carrie. Um, Article 41, uh, was that something that was brought to Fred's attention? Is that what triggered this? Uh, something that needed to be finalized, uh, completed? The, the flood maps have changed and we need to come in compliance. It's something that uh, okay. we, we don't really have a choice with. Okay, so this was sort of a, not a mandated thing, but it, something that needed to be done and we need to take care of it. Via this. Right. Okay. Bob? Okay. If, if I may, Mr. Chairman, to add to what uh, John was, was talking about, um, this is kind of a federal mandate, you know, with the firm maps and everything else. Um, Fred spent a significant amount of time with the um, uh, FEMA uh, planner in Boston to get the language correct and make sure that it fits with our current zoning bylaws, um, because there is a certain boilerplate that was required or is required by the federal government. Um, and of course, the state FEMA department, you know, handles it for the federal government. So um, there's a significant amount of um, back and forth that Fred did with the um, with the contacts in Boston to get this to where it is now. Okay. Great. All right. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. And nice to meet you, Laurie. Sorry, I meant to say that first. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, I think that completes our. Uh, uh, tour of the, the zoning bylaws. Uh, uh, board members, any other final questions? And uh, Carrie, just to repeat, the uh, uh, you have a meeting tomorrow night. Uh, we do. We have a meeting tomorrow night, but the public hearing for bylaws is the April 5th meeting. So anyone is welcome to Call, send comments via email if you can't make it or aren't comfortable speaking publicly. Otherwise, call in um, and we will gladly accept your comments. And tomorrow, I don't know if bylaws are on the agenda, but if they are, certainly um, we can take comments. Okay, very good. Uh, thank you very much for being here tonight to walk us through this. Uh, look forward to the public hearing and look forward to town meeting. Okay, great. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye-bye. Yeah. Yep. Good night, Carol. I think the chief has got my uh, uh, Bob. I don't have you or anything, sir? What do you need? I, I guess uh, I was just wondering who we need to uh, to move out to, to continue with the. Uh, um, I guess Bob, I'm going to move you back out. Great. Hey, have a good night. Yeah. And Lori, going to move you back out. And I think we're good to go. Yep, thank you, everybody. Okay. Uh, this brings us to reports. Uh, obviously, oh, as opportunity Chair, board I just, members. Uh, I yes, have one question on the remaining ward articles. What was that? Uh, sure, yep. go ahead. So, John, at the beginning, you were talking with the moderator over moving town meeting. Um, and implying that it's in the charter, the citizens petition to move it, would that necessitate then starting the process of changing the charter? In the bylaw. 
It's a bylaw, in, not in to the bylaw. Bar. I'm sorry. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Bylaw, simple and, change at town meeting. And then finally for article, the last article on the Brave Act. Okay, um, we're actually going to discuss that at a subsequent when we go through yeah, the review and close of the warrant. Okay. Business. Good. I had a question on that. So I, I, I can wait till yep. then. All right. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Scott. Uh, so, uh, reports, uh, I, I was just going to say, considering the lateness of the hour, board members, uh, I'm certainly going to give everyone an opportunity, but uh, I would ask uh, perhaps be brief so we can move on to uh, other business uh, that we have still on our agenda tonight. Uh, Kristen Wickstead. Hey. Um, Council on Aging meeting, I already mentioned it. Um, the Senior Center is working on some ideas for Buell North Grove. Um, they're getting a new director soon, so we look forward to seeing who that is. But they got a new program coordinator. Her name is Linda Namar, and she's evidently a big hit. I'm not surprised because I know Linda a little bit. Um, everyone loves her. She works really hard. They have to remind her to go home. There are two open spots on council on aging, if anyone's interested. Um, lots of emails about the packet being a, available earlier. Um, and I'm not, I'm still not sure how our packet is different from the packet that the residents get. So maybe we could talk about that another time. Um, a lot of emails about the ARPA money, but we're going to discuss that and I will just move on. Um, my quote is knowledge is limited, imagination encircles the world. <coughs> Albert Einstein. Um, Thank you, Kristen. Thanks. Uh, Julianne. Um, yes, well, I just want to follow up on what Kristen said and we are receiving lots of emails about the packet. So um, would you kindly put that on an agenda for a future meeting so we can just discuss the pros and cons of having it made available earlier? I'd just like to comment that tonight's packet was 120 pages and to expect a resident to look at it at six o'clock when they get home from work is, is um, a bit much. And I just want to say again that I'm looking, I hope that we can soon meet the facilities manager and get some information about the status of our municipal buildings, especially as we start spending some of the ARPA money. So thank you so much. Thank you, Julia. Uh, Scott Riders. Anything I uh, would report was we have it scheduled for under new business, so nothing new to report. Thank you, Scott. Leslie. Okay, I'll make this snappy. Um, please check the Burroughs Cares for Troops uh, Facebook page for a complete list of the items needed. It's quite comprehensive, and I thank them for putting that together. I also appreciate when the fire department and some of our firefighters actually post um, information about the incidents that they handle. And they also recognize the mutual aid that is given. And I think it's a, it's a great thing for residents to see the kind of work that our department does. Um, let's see. Uh, I attended the Northwest School Committee meeting on March 2nd, and that was where they voted to revise the lifting of the mask mandate for K-5. Originally, it was going to be lifted on March 14th, and it, they moved it back to March 3rd. So all of our schools are now uh, maskless. Uh, also heard more information on the Proctor uh, school roof. It's interesting to hear um, uh, discussion about the downspouts, the fact that they've actually separated from the building. 
uh, that they are all cast iron and they plan to replace those with PVC uh, piping. So it was really interesting to hear and see some, some pictures of that. And um, also the DPW received a nice comment that I saw uh, where they were very pleased, not only with the plowing, but with the fact that I guess in the wind, a tree had fallen onto someone's yard and DPW came back the next day and, and cut it up, took care of it. So uh, that ends my report. Thank you, Leslie. Uh, I have no report this evening, John. No report. Okay, that brings us to public comment. Uh, anyone who's connected to the Zoom uh, application, uh, please raise your hand if you wish to be heard during public comment. When we bring you in, we'll ask you to state your full name and address, and then you will have three minutes to present your concerns. Uh, we do not take uh, topics for deliberation and decision by the board uh, under public comment, but if there's a simple informational question the town staff can readily provide an answer to, we try to do that. Uh, we do ask uh, everyone participating here, uh, while we might not agree on things in all cases, uh, uh, is working, uh, 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 you know, toward the betterment of the town. So we ask everyone to please present your concerns in a courteous and respectful and professional manner. So with that said, uh, first up, I have Marilee Borden. Hi, how are you? Good uh, evening. This is Marilee Borden, 63 Little Pond Road. So at tonight's meeting, the board is being asked to consider the release of $2.2 million in ARPA resources to fund capital budget projects. And I have concerns about the process by which Northboro is deciding how to spend this um, once in a lifetime cash windfall that really could and should have a transformative impact on our town. First, I wanna note the language in the ARPA guidance. Um, the treasury quote, urges state and local governments to engage their constituents and communities in developing plans to use these payments given the scale of funding and potential to catalyze broader economic recovery and rebuilding. As far as I know, our local constituents have not been engaged in this process. I certainly haven't seen or heard anything. And given that I run the Northboro Guide, I tend to be pretty in the know about these things. Um, so then I started to think that maybe it's just not realistic, maybe it's guidance, but it's not actually what's happening in practice. So I hopped on Google and um, did a quick search for the phrase Massachusetts Towns ARPA survey. I urge you guys to do the same because what I found is pages and pages and pages of links to other towns in our state who are soliciting input from their constituents via surveys, public hearings, forums, and more. Um, just a couple of examples that I came across. The town of Southboro is forming a committee of various constituents whose charter is to provide recommendations to the select board on how to spend their ARPA funding. Um, the committee has a year to solicit input from town departments, boards, and committees, and they're tasked with soliciting input from the community through surveys and public forums. They've also been tasked with developing an evaluation tool to rank proposals for funding. Um, in Northampton this fall, they pushed out a survey in both English and Spanish, where respondents were asked about their mental health, access to the COVID vaccine, childcare, income, employment, and other potential challenges, especially relevant in the past two years, all in an effort to identify how and where they were struggling. Westboro hired a consulting company to help with the process of soliciting input and ensuring the proper use of funds. Hudson held a series of town forums as did Spencer and Sturbridge. 
Framingham is holding a series of meetings. Even the town of Monterey, whose award was only $138,000, has said it's imperative that those in the community have the opportunity to make their voices heard on potential, potential uses of funding. So just a sampling of how other Massachusetts communities are managing the process. Um, I took a look at the G GFOA guidance on ARPA and was struck by their suggestion that adequate time should be taken to carefully consider all alternatives for the prudent use of ARPA funding prior to committing the resources to ensure the best use of the temporary funding. Given that we have until the end of 2024 to decide how and where this money should be spent, I hope that the board will consider taking the GFOA advice, not vote to appropriate these funds tonight. Instead, we should find out where the needs exist by listening to our constituents, carefully consider a multitude of opportunities, and ultimately decide on how and where this money can have the greatest long-term impact on our community. Thank you. Thank you, Marilyn. Uh, next up, I have Laura Zayton. Hi, Laura Zayton, 17 Franklin Circle. It's tough to top Marilee's comments because a lot of what I'm going to share is very similar to what she said. My goal is just to have community engagement in terms of what is being decided on for the use of these funds. And I hope that the selectmen will hold off on making a vote on how to appropriate that money until we have the feedback from the community. There's never been a public hearing or really any selectmen deliberation about what they want to see for that. So thank you for listening. I appreciate you considering this and have a great night. Thank you, Laura. Uh, anyone else for public comment? I have uh, Jay Cahill, is that Jean? Hi, yes, it is. Can you hear me? Hi, Jean. Yes. Okay, so um, I just looked over the list of what was being proposed to spend that money on. And it seems like it's a lot of things that we normally fund uh, as appropriations at town meeting. So I'm wondering why this one time um, unprecedented gift to the town of money is being used for something that we would normally fund out of our normal operating year to year capital planning. And um, I see that right now we're at a really critical juncture in terms of our state climate goals. Um, we're kind of doing things as we've always done them. And what I don't see in this ARPA proposal, proposed use of the funds, is um, anything about electric uh, vehicle charging, uh, electric vehicles that we could be using as municipal vehicles, uh, light duty, medium duty trucks. Um, we're not seeing anything about getting more solar up on our municipal buildings or using this money in any kind of climate uh, responsive capacity. So, and also at this time, I mean, we're just um, inundated in the news daily with the risk, the financial risk, the geopolitical risk that we're under because of our continued reliance on fuels that have an incredibly unstable pricing. And this has great economic impacts for the town and for our ability to meet our budgets going forward, and we just don't know what the future is going to look like. If we're on a more stable form of energy, we will have more predictable budgets. So I'm really, I'm I would like to see us reconsider to hold off and reconsider how we're allocating this money, and especially in light of the climate risks that we're under and our 2030, um, the necessity of us to meet a 50% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. And um, I would also just bring your attention to the fact that the state is now incentivizing electric vehicles like and medium duty trucks to the tune of seven and a half to uh, $7,500 to $90,000 in more EV rebates. 
And um, I didn't identify my address, um, 1 Thayer Street. Thank you. Thank you, Jean. Uh, next up, I have Mitch Cohen. Hi, everybody. Mitch Cohen, 12 Whitney Street. I was going to comment about the public input on ARPA funds and the use of 80% of the funds for standard capital, but I don't want to repeat what others have already said so well. Uh, I do want to make an unrelated comment about the board's agenda format. Public comment is so late that this meeting has already been going about three hours before public comment began. Not everyone has a schedule allowing participation so late. Please consider moving public comment to the start of your meeting to, so you don't exclude so many from the ability to participate. Thank you. Thank you, Mitch. Uh, next up, I have John Wickstead. Hi, this is John Wickstead, 2 Stirbrook Lane. Um, I would uh, echo Mitch's comments and previous comments about the use of ARPA funds for capital uh, expenditures that would otherwise be funded under regular tax expenditures, particularly in light of the fact that ARPA funds have been explicitly um, excluded from uh, tax decreases. Thank you. Thank you, John. Uh, anyone else? Uh, John Wickstead, I still see your hand up. There it is. Okay, gone. Thank you. Uh, uh, last call. And seeing none, public comment is closed. Thank you all for your participation and input. Uh, this brings us to new business. And the first item is the review and approval of draft legislative priorities letter. John Godair, town administrator. So in your packet is uh, the revised uh, legislative priorities letter. This is what we intend to send out to our legislative delegation prior to them coming to meet with the board at your meeting on March 28th. Uh, we reviewed the items um, at your last meeting uh, and had some discussion. So this is the updated letter with the latest and greatest information in it. I did want to point out one thing. Uh, I had sent out a communication, very excited that the um, governor had included in a supplemental budget for fiscal 2022 an extra $100 million in Chapter 90 funds. Uh, however, I regret to report back to you now that the House um, did not take up that piece of it. So when they come in, that'd be an interesting conversation. Uh, I do know that they're talking about adding um, some additional Chapter 90 funds for fiscal 2023. So maybe that's what they're planning to do, but uh, very disappointing to see that it didn't uh, get included in the House uh, in the House version that went to the Senate. So, um, so chapter 90 funds are included in here. Uh, the balance uh, of local aid, Student Opportunity Act, circuit breaker, regional transportation, and unrestricted general government aid. We did update uh, on unrestricted general government aid. Uh, one of the things that uh, we wanted to point out was uh, what the state is using as the base upon which to calculate the 2.7% increase is really not, it's the old target number and not what they actually, uh, what they actually receive. Uh, so in here is an explanation of how the municipalities across the state are actually being shortchanged by the calculation of the increase or the methodology of the calculation of the increase from the, uh, from the uh, stated. Um, balance of the, uh, the balance of the um, article or the items are the same. 
Uh, we do, we did add in bill numbers. If you look on page five, so an act creating a municipal and public safety authority. So there are uh, bills that are looking to create essentially the equivalent of the uh, school building authority or the, uh, or the uh, mass board of library commissioners uh, grant program for buildings uh, specifically for, you know, public safety and municipal buildings. Um, we have had several conversations with our delegation around the need to have some assistance, particularly with regard to you know, fire stations. Uh, they're very expensive. Um, the balance of this, uh, again, it, it's the same items. It's just been uh, updated. Uh, one thing that we did do differently uh, is we added on the back uh, these, there's uh, several three pages that are added at the end that I wouldn't send to the governor specifically uh, because this letter goes to the governor as well as our delegation. Um, but one of the things that we found uh, very frustrating lately is if you're watching the paper, you see through the various supplemental bills that are going through the legislature, uh, a number of earmarks that are out there for uh, particularly for dams and culverts. Uh, everybody seems to be able to get items into the, those um, bills for earmarks for their communities. And I can assure you, it's, it's not for a lack of trying. We're sort of in transition with our delegation at the moment, as you know. Uh, we're losing both senators. One is, is going to have to move to a different district. The other is retiring. Um, we're losing one of our representatives. And the only representative that we will still have is Megan Kilcoin, who represents two out of four districts. So what we did in this, uh, in this version of the letter is, just so there's no question about it, we added in a half a dozen projects that should earmarks become available, this would give our delegation sufficient description of what they are and how much it costs and uh, to let them know that these are needs in Northborough. So if there's an opportunity for them to request uh, an earmark, they can go right to this and pull it out and plug it in. Um, oftentimes when they do call for earmarks, it's literally a, it's a matter of like an hour or two that you have to respond. Uh, to provide them information to, to get in there, whether or not it, it, it comes out uh, and survives the review process uh, is another story because they have behind closed doors, we don't see it. But the items that we've included in here, just so they have them, is uh, assistance with the fire station building project, uh, water meter trans, uh, uh, transmitter replacement, uh, the Lincoln Street uh, culvert replacement, the uh, Northborough Reservoir Dam Removal, that's a project that's close to a million dollars uh, that we're seeking grants for as well. Um, the SCADA system, this is the remote monitoring for our, uh, for our water and sewer. And then um, uh, sidewalk uh, repair uh, project. We're always seeking funds to do you know, investments in terms of uh, capital for our roadways and our sidewalks. So uh, there can be no question now uh, in terms of our communication regarding potential earmarks or what would be priorities for the town. And if you look at these, what we tried to do is give them a range, everything from a million dollar, you know, dam removal to, um, you know, to uh, meter replacement uh, assistance at $240,000. So that's a little bit different than what we've done in years past, but I, I do think it's important that we have a conversation with uh, our delegation about how do we get these earmarks? Because they seem to happen magically. And by magic, it happens based on the clout that you have and what happens behind closed doors because their discussions don't take place openly. They're not required and not held by the public records law or the open meeting law at the legislature. 
So they have all their discussions in private and they come out and they vote. So you never know what actually happened or transpired. So that is a new, uh, a new development in terms of um, just the format of the letter that I think would be uh, helpful for us in case uh, anybody wanted to comment on that. So that's the revised uh, letter. What we'd ask for you tonight, uh, if you've had a chance to look at it, if there's anything uh, that you want to discuss, we certainly can. But the typical request at this stage, assuming everything is acceptable, would be to authorize the chairman to make any final edits and to sign the letter and send it off. The key here is we want to get it to our delegation tomorrow. So they have a full two weeks to look at it uh, so that when they come in to meet with us, they know uh, what we are seeking in terms of priorities and what we intend to discuss with them. So that's the um, updated draft legislative priorities. Thank you very much, John. Uh, appreciate the updates and also the uh, earmark wish list. Uh, um, as you pointed out, uh, our representation is in transition and uh, we perhaps don't have uh, at the moment uh, the same kind of influence uh, that, uh, that we might have enjoyed uh, previously. Um, so whatever we can do to try to secure some additional funding for any of these things is, is certainly welcome. Uh, members of the board, any questions? Leslie. Yeah, thank you, John. And I do like this a lot that you have done this earmark project request list. I think that's great. It just gives them more information, a little bit more detail. They can kind of get down and dirty as far as what North Rail views as important. And I particularly like the, um, the emphasis on uh, the commission would be similar to the MSBA in terms of municipal buildings and also the sidewalk repair uh, project and having the same look and feel of the uh, roadway one. So, and it emphasizes to them that this is important to us as well. So I appreciate seeing this. This is great information. Thank you. It certainly provides a lot of uh, credibility. Uh, considering that we have this depth of information and this presentation for them, uh, very commonly our legislative uh, uh, delegates comment favorably on this communication because they say it is so clear, it lays everything out for our town. Uh, it's very easy for them to reference and uh, they don't get quite the same kind of presentation uh, from, from a lot of the other towns they serve. So uh, certainly to our benefit to, to provide uh, any uh, any further questions or comments, Julianne? Yes. So um, at, at the last meeting, I re I suggested that we look at the um, automated traffic enforcement bills, and um, this this afternoon, uh, John, you were kind enough to send out an email explaining why you decided not to add this to our list. And just for future reference, I'd like to understand what this means. You wrote, it appears these bills are geared more toward densely populated urban areas. Okay, that's a given, but there was one bill that, um, that allowed for a camera per 2,500 people. So that would have applied to us. But the rest of it, I don't understand. And given the lack of vetting and public disclosure locally surrounding this legislation, it is not recommended for inclusion in the town's legislative priorities. So what, what would you have liked to have seen to include that topic on our legislative priorities? 
Yeah, so everything that's included in this letter are things that uh, universally uh, the town has been in favor of. They tend to be uh, a lot of uh, recurring or standard items. And so uh, I just caution that if uh, you're going to include something like a traffic enforcement, there's been, there was no discussion of it leading up to it at all. There was no public discussion about this. All, everything else that's in here has been discussed publicly uh, extensively over oftentimes years. So uh, you certainly can include anything you would like in the, if the board chooses to in there. Um, but uh, this legislation is going through um, uh, alterations. It's making its way through. We didn't know very much about it. Just based on your comment at the last meeting, we pulled together some information and, and, uh, and sent it out. So, uh, but there's been no discussion about, uh, about uh, whether or not this is something that as a, as a town that uh, we'd be interested or even as a board, you'd be interested in pursuing. So, um, so that's why at this point, uh, we just didn't put it into this draft. If the board would like to put it in there or change that, that's certainly within their purview. So what you're suggesting is that we talk about this during the course of the year and and try to elicit some uh, resident feedback about this. If this is something, yeah, this is something I think the board's interested in in pursuing. Um, uh, then uh, normally, uh, again, what's in this letter is is typically the things that are most important to us and that are. Uh, uh, really not anything uh, controversial, so. Okay. I think it's an interesting point, Julianne, that you make for raising that particular item, but I don't think I feel myself in this short period of time uh, that I understand it well enough or that I have any certainty that it's something that would apply or perhaps have unintended consequences in, in our own municipalities. So. With those uncertainties in my mind, it's not something that I would want to advocate for in, in this letter at this time. Well, and, and I, I actually would agree. So um, if you don't mind, on, at a, you know, at an agenda, uh, as, as an added agenda item in the future, could we have a good conversation with um, our police department about it? And, you know, here's some pros and cons. So I thank you for your explanations. Sure. Thank you. Uh, any other comments, questions, board members? Uh, seeing none, do I have a motion? Is there a motion? Chair, I move the board vote to authorize the chair and the town administrator to finalize and sign the legislative priorities letter and supplemental earmark requests for discussion with our state legislative delegation at the March 28th board meeting. Second. Moved by Leslie Rutan, seconded by Kristen Wickstead. This is a roll call vote. Kristen Wickstead. Aye. Julianne Hirsch. Aye. Scott Rogers. Aye. Leslie Rutan. Aye. And I, Jason Pro, vote aye. Carries unanimously. I guess that means I need to go into town hall tomorrow and sign something. Uh, Next item, presentation of fiscal year 2023 capital budget and fiscal year 2023 ARPA funding plan authorization. John Coderre. Right.
with me. All right, I know the hour is late. Um, I did put together a presentation, I did update it as well. For continuity, uh, I kept a lot of the slides uh, in the presentation from the last update that I did to the board on January 24th. If you recall back then, uh, we had just received the final rule about ARPA funding that was uh, released on January 6, 2022. And uh, so I've included a lot of those second does not seem to want to advance so i i did include uh those slides in here just for continuity because uh folks may or may not have seen that presentation and that that presentation was two hours long so i don't want to run through all of those again but i did want to keep them there we go uh so the original presentation has the overview the funding categories talks about the new uh replacement model uh, and so I'm going to move forward through these and get down to the uh, the last two bullet items on here, the pandemic uh, budget reductions and the ultimately the proposed ARPA projects and initiatives. So the background information on what ARPA is uh, and how it came to be is included in here. Um, the bottom line for the town of Northboro is that uh, through the municipal al allocation and the county allocation, we have $4.5 million that has come to us through this uh, funding source. It covers, as we talked about, uh, uh, multiple fiscal years. Um, you know, one of the things that we've done is we haven't rushed out. We were waiting to get the final rule from uh, U.S. Treasury Department, which just came through, as I said, on January 6th. But again, the funding must be obligated by December of 2024 and fully uh, expended by December of 2026. So. What we're looking at is uh, ARPA spending over fiscal 23 and 24. So tonight we're just talking about fiscal 23, which would be the first tranche of the, of the um, funding. These are the categories. We covered this previously. Ineligible uses uh, listed out here as well. I'm not gonna go through those tonight. Um, the one big change that we're waiting for that came through on the final rule on January 6th was the so-called standard deduction of $10 million. So any municipality receiving 10 million or less uh, does not go, need to go through and meet the individual categories and does not need to um, uh, uh, meet a very elaborate, uh, complicated re revenue replacement uh, formula. So as one of those communities, we have our funding and it can be used for any municipal use. So anything that we would normally spend money on uh, these funds can be used for. Somebody mentioned the GFOA uh, guidelines uh, earlier. Uh, so GFOA does have uh, funding guidelines. Their, their caution is not to just take and spend all the money, but to spread out the, um, the uh, funding over two years, which is exactly what we're proposing here uh, as part of the presentation tonight. We're looking at fiscal 2023 expenditures and then uh, there will be a second round for fiscal 2024, particularly as we start to learn what other funding is available and how ARPA funds can be used and leveraged against a lot of the infrastructure funding uh, that's coming forward uh, right now. 
So I do want to touch base on this because this is really the linchpin when we talk about um, ARPA funding. And under the original or under the ARPA plan, uh, the, the big component is to be able to use it to replace uh, revenue, uh, revenues that were lost during the pandemic. And I think it's important to remind everybody how we got through this pandemic. Um, first of all, we cut operating budgets um, to 1%. We also used one-time uh, revenues. We used free cash. Uh, we stopped putting money in the stabilization fund for two consecutive years. Um, uh, we also postponed a significant amount of capital projects. Now, this was all part of a, uh, a structured approach to how we were going to get through the pandemic. And the idea was to postpone expenses that could be postponed without impacting direct services immediately. Um, the other piece of it was um, to free up uh, some liquidity so that we had resources available to us to deal with everything from uh, the immediate responses to, uh, to, to um, vaccinations. Now, we didn't know at the time that the state, uh, the federal government rather, was going to come forward with any meaningful aid. Uh, we had hoped it would. But we postponed capital in fiscal 21. Budgets were tight. We did not have a significant amount of free cash. So we postponed capital investments in year two. The other thing that we did, and we talked about this in our December meeting for the uh, financial trend monitoring, is we postponed making contributions to our OPEB trust fund to the tune of uh, $1.1 million, actually. So that was one of the things we talked about needing to get that back into the operating uh, budget. Um, so from a standpoint of the ARPA funding coming in, uh, one of the things that should be a priority is restoration of what was actually cut uh, when the pandemic hit so that we didn't have to impact our services. And what was cut was primarily uh, capital investments, uh, OPEB trust funds, in addition to some operating uh, budgets. When it comes to a, a spending strategy, you know, there's been a comment of, you know, we haven't reached out to the community. You know, we have two long-range strategic plans. You know, we have a six-year capital improvement plan, which has been severely impacted by uh, postponement due to the, the reduction in free cash throughout the pandemic. And the other is we just completed, you know, a 18-plus-month uh, master plan, which basically had outreach to the community on all aspects of our community, including, you heard somebody mention, uh, you know, uh, sustainability, uh, there's walkability, there's open space, transportation, everything. And from that, we have a list of strategic goals and objectives, which the Master Plan Implementation Committee is working through right now. So in terms of spending priorities, we have what was cut from the budget that should get restored. And then you also have a master plan that the Master Plan Implementation Committee has identified there are two, and they voted these formally, there are two priorities is a downtown master plan and the pieces that go along with that and a sidewalk master plan and complete streets initiative. So those were the two, uh, those were two components that came out, but we just finished a comprehensive uh, uh, outreach surveys, uh, focus groups. I can't even count the number of meetings and public outreach about what this community would like to see. And so 
two things that are, are we're looking at again that are coming directly out of that process that we just completed. So that's the thought process that went behind uh, some of this. So I'm going to talk about um, the updated slide. So at, at your meeting on January 24th, what we had done is we had looked at what do we have for available uh, ARPA funds and what do we have this year for available free cash. And then we listed out all the project requests that we had received from boards, committees, and departments around ARPA uh, and around uh, the capital improvement plan. And again, what you're seeing in that list are a lot of the projects that got postponed uh, throughout two years of the pandemic. So we have a six-year capital improvement plan, and the idea is to smooth out those investments on a regular basis. And what we try to do with our equipment is we try to use available funds to uh, replace that equipment on an ongoing basis. When the pandemic hit, we pulled back on those available funds at free cash, and we postponed a significant amount of capital. So what we have now is a, a bunch up, a bubble of capital that's backlogged. So had it not been for the pandemic, most of that capital would have been funded and purchased and we wouldn't have this backlog. So that's why the six-year capital improvement plan and that focus is, is critical. And again, the six-year capital improvement plan is all departments, uh, school department about what are, what are the uh, capital needs for planning purposes. So that's why that is heavily relied upon. Um, so you have that list, uh, it's about $4.3 million in total. Now the two columns to the right are how things have shaken out. So the financial planning committee uh, is reviewing and finalizing the capital budget. Uh, the town meeting warrant right now includes uh, these projects uh, in that uh, second from the right column. This one that says, uh, where is it? So town meeting free cash. So these are the projects that we would traditionally think of as the capital budget. So out of the six-year capital improvement plan, the upcoming year to be funded at town meeting is the capital budget. So these are the projects that are included in the, in the town meeting warrant uh, right now to be funded with free cash. Now we get to the column on the right, which is where we're going to spend some time uh, talking about. And this is uh, potential uh, Board of Selectmen vote to release ARPA funding. And so these projects, some of them come out of the capital plan uh, and some of them come out of the, the uh, master plan implementation committee priority. Uh, and then others have come forward as part of the process uh, as we have looked at available grants and leveraging ARPA funding towards those available grants. And a good example of that is the affordable housing project that John Campbell spoke to tonight. There was a request for $100,000 to make their $2.44 million project uh, viable. The only thing that's included in the operating budget uh, for uh, out of ARPA funds or that's being uh, suggested is the uh, 2003 subsidy for the uh, OPEB trust fund. As I said, we had postponed a million dollars of contribution uh, into that and we need to get that back into the budget base. There's a couple other projects here, uh, the Aspen Fence and Pickleball alter alternates that um, uh, I'd like to talk about uh, with you, uh, but I'm going to run through these quickly. The one thing um, that in here is not uh, requesting a release of funds at this point is the COVID expense reserve. 
As you know, uh, FEMA is covering 100% of vaccination clinic expenses. Uh, we had uh, submissions for reimbursements for, from the CARES Act, but we don't ultimately know whether or not FEMA or the federal government is going to reject any of the uh, requests for, um, for reimbursement. So oftentimes if we have a storm, we submit for reimbursement for that storm and inevitably uh, FEMA or MEMA will reject some of the costs that we've, we've asked for reimbursement for. So uh, the other piece is right now we're in a lull, but uh, just a couple of months ago, we had another spike with uh, Omicron and, the, and COVID. We were back almost ready to lock down again. Um, and so as we go through this, um, we, we've been able to get a significant amount of grant funds to deal with the health-related aspects of the pandemic. If that changes, we're going to, we're going to want a reserve. So let me run through these for you. And again, I'm going to run through the ARPA funding requests. I don't know why it freezes up like that on me sometimes. It just does. So when we talked about the uh, backlog uh, in capital, we had a couple of things happen to us. We had uh, several years bunch up with capital because we postponed. And then the next year we didn't have available resources to uh, put towards capital. Uh, and then we had, uh, in the case of the fire station building project, because of the contamination at the site, that project has been postponed. So as we look out in the capital plan, we're trying to deal with the backlog, and then we're looking at what are other significant projects that are coming in uh, in a year or two out. And uh, fire station, the fire engine replacement was one of those. So as the fire station project is postponed and we'll come to town meeting, not this year, but likely next year uh, uh, in April of 2023, uh, it would put this fire engine, uh, which was scheduled for replacement in fiscal 2024, at the same time. And so where we have available funds, and ultimately it all comes out of the taxpayer's um, uh, bill anyway. And one of the reasons why we do the capital investments the way we do is using free cash. It doesn't create additional uh, tax impact. So here we have a $800,000 apparatus that's going to need to be replaced in the capital plan in fiscal 2024. And the idea is if we use ARPA funding to clear that, what we're really doing is we're clearing out this backlog of capital and we're creating budget capacity and debt capacity in terms of taxpayer impact for that significant fire station building project that's going to be coming. So that's the rationale behind this. This engine is going to need to be replaced next year, one way or another. You can pay cash for it using ARPA and avoid issuing debt for it uh, and financing it. Um, or you can, uh, sorry, you can either pay cash for it or, or next year we're going to wind up uh, paying, uh, financing it with debt at the same time that we're looking at a large, uh, a large building project. And so there's the explanation of this uh, fire engine replacement. Again, this didn't fall out of the sky. This is a, on a 20 year replacement cycle and it's due to be replaced in 2024. So if you don't fund this with ARPA funding, then we're just, we are going to wind up uh, uh, bringing this project forward. At the same time, we're looking at a, 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 a 15, $16 million 
a fire station building project, and it's all going to have to be funded with debt, which then will just have a tax impact. Funded with ARPA, there will be no additional tax impact for this. The second project that is scheduled out uh, in uh, fiscal 2024-25 is a required DEP uh, regulatory compliance issue, and it has to do with our highway garage. Our highway garage uh, is where we house all of our vehicles when we're plowing snow. They're covered in salt. We wash those vehicles to get the corrosive salt off of them. It goes down a drain. It goes into the septic. That's not allowed. The DEP has put us on notice that this needs to be remedied. So again, this is a capital project that we are going to do because we have no choice. Uh, it is necessary. And so if we, um, if we use ARPA funding to do it, again, it clears out that uh, capital um, uh, slate to allow um, more room for other capital projects moving forward. And those capital projects can be related to the downtown, for instance. But this project will get done, uh, has to be done because we're out of compliance with DEB. And so you can pay cash for this project or you can finance it with debt next year along with the fire engine. So again, the idea is from a capital standpoint, we are able to get most of the backlog backlog worked through with the uh, free cash available funds. And then we're talking about uh, two significant projects that are coming forward in ne next year that will either have to be financed with debt because we aren't going to generate this amount of free cash. On a, on a typical year, we, we usually have about a million, a million and a half to put towards um, page go capital. These are large projects that are going to need to be funded with debt if we don't uh, pay with, uh, with available funds. The third project that's in here, you heard uh, at your last meeting, the superintendent came in and he made a presentation on the statement of interest for the Proctor School roof. So uh, the picture to the right is an aerial photo of the roof. The really dark black areas are the flat sections of the roof. The light gray are the peaked sections of the roof. So several years ago, we replaced the peak sections with metal roofing and the uh, rubber membrane, the flat section, uh, was scheduled to then be replaced uh, subsequently. So we have submitted a request in to the Massachusetts School Building uh, Assistance, uh, and they are uh, the School Building Authority, and they would partner with us on this, and the anticipated match is approximately 45%. And so the total project is about 1.5 or 1.6 million. So in previous presentation that I did for you back in January, uh, one of the things was to take care of this significant uh, capital uh, expense uh, facilities need of the schools uh, in out of the fiscal 2024 um, second half of ARPA funding. But what you heard from the superintendent at your meeting is there's an immediate need for repairs to the downspouts uh, and, uh, and to make some immediate repairs to that roof while we wait for MSBA's um, response as to whether or not they will collaborate with us on the replacement of this entire roof. So that's why this funding is being requested. And this was just brought to us by the school department as part of this roof uh, project assessment that they just went through. So the suggestion is uh, releasing these funds uh, allows them to buy some time to hear back from MSBA and hopefully we'll have a partner and a grant for approximately eight, eight to $900,000 to complete that uh, actual roof replacement. 
This uh, piece here, uh, we have just completed a sidewalk master plan. And so essentially, just like we have for the, um, for the uh, pavement management plan, where we have inventoried and graded every road in town, we have completed a similar project for every, every sidewalk in this community. So we know where all the sidewalks are. There's a small map here and they're color coded between excellent, good, fair, and poor. So these are the existing sidewalks that we have now. You've heard me talk about as we, in the context of adding new sidewalks and walkability being the uh, second top priority that came out of the master plan implementation committee. Well, you've heard me say, well, one of the things we need to do is get an assessment and, and uh, understand the condition and the needs of the existing sidewalks before we start building new sidewalks. And what this uh, complete assessment and inventory has told us is that we have a backlog of about $1.5 million of existing sidewalks throughout the town that are in poor or fair condition. And so just to sort of set the table for folks, again, where did this come from? This is the, the second highest priority coming out of the master plan process is sidewalks and walkability. So we have the inventory of what exists now in an assessment. And then as you know, in February of this year, the town received a Mass DOT complete grants award of $35,200 to do a comprehensive plan, prioritizing and focusing really on gaps and needs for new sidewalks primarily. So that process has been funded the board's accepted those funds and that that process will play out throughout this calendar year. In the meantime, what we have is we have $1.5 million of backlog of sidewalk work that needs to be done. And so the proposal here is between fiscal 23 and fiscal 24 that we use some of these ARPA funds to deal with the backlog of sidewalks that are in poor condition to move us up and get us in a position so that we then are able to focus on building new sidewalks and gaps and new initiatives. It's very difficult to build a new sidewalk for $350,000 when you have $1.5 million of sidewalks that need work. This, in, in, again, this is the reason why the legislative priorities letter that we just talked about, our top priority for the last five or six years has been additional chapter 90 funding from the state to deal with the backlog of streets and sidewalks and infrastructure work that needs to be done. So uh, initially in fiscal 23, the request is for $400,000 to allow us to immediately go in and start fixing some of those poor and fair condition roads. Now looking forward out of the uh, master plan, the sidewalk master plan uh, is a similar graph to what you've seen with our roadways and it shows different funding levels and what the overall rating uh, will impact will be for our sidewalk. So again, uh, you know, uh, zero to 100. Um, and right now our sidewalks overall, the condition uh, rating is about a 72. If we put no money in, that condition rating will continue to plummet and you have uh, various funding scenarios, 100,000 a year, 200,000 or 300,000. At an absolute minimum, we need to be putting in $200,000 a year more than we are right now to stabilize and prevent sidewalks from deteriorating 
further. If you want to make forward progress in dealing with this, you really need to be looking at something on the order of $300,000 of sidewalk-specific investments annually. So again, this ask is specifically to start immediately chipping away at the backlog. So then we can start moving faster towards the conversations about where would we like to add sidewalks or enhance uh, some of this. And by the way, it's not all just, uh, it's not two completely separate processes because there are opportunities once we complete our prioritization plan to seek grant funding uh, through the Complete Streets program to do things like fix existing sidewalks, but add sidewalks and gaps and so forth. But this is a very, when you look at this, this is a very significant infrastructure need. And again, it's a sidewalks and walkability and extension is a top priority that came out of the master plan and then voted as a top priority by the master plan implementation committee. So that's why this is included in this ask. And it is more than just uh, it's more than just asking for funding to fix some sidewalks or to make repairs. You know, this is an opportunity. We talk about a, a, an opportunity here, but this is a chance to chip away significantly at this backlog and put us in a position as a community to be working on one of these funding plans where we're able to start talking about adding uh, more sidewalks and filling in gaps in, in making the types of investments that the um, master plan indicates the community would like to see. So having a vision and knowing what you want is one thing. Having a legitimate viable funding plan to get you there is another. And uh, right now, when we talk about roadways in general and sidewalks uh, as part of those roadways, we are underfunded significantly. In the in the um, uh, in the uh, a legislative priorities letter, there's a figure in there that shows since this since the legislature hasn't increased their funding for Chapter 90 for infrastructure and roadways, uh, the buying power has been decreased by over 42 percent because the funding hasn't increased, but yet the expenses has. So that's where this project came from directly out of the vote of the Master Plan Implementation Committee as a second highest priority uh, for the community. Um, this project you heard about again from John Campbell. Uh, one of the things that uh, ARPA funds are great for is, uh, is that there are gonna be a funding that's available that just sort of pops up. Um, there's a lot of infrastructure money and a lot of grant programs that are gonna be showing up and one of the uh, preferred uses of ARPA is to use it to leverage against uh, uh, grants that are out there and available. So DHCD, the Department of Housing Community Development, literally just uh, contacted housing authorities and said, we've got this pool of money and it's limited. It may not be there. It likely isn't going to be there next year. Uh, but if you're in a position and you can come up with match to fund uh, we'll give you, you know, up to $800,000 to create a new affordable housing. So um, the Northboro Affordable Housing Corp worked with the housing authority who met and worked with the Community Preservation Committee to patch funding together to try to get there. And one of their asks as part of our ARPA planning process through the departments was, 
can the uh, town through ARPA contribute some money into this project so that we aren't draining and using all CPC. It shows, it shows also when these projects go to DHCD, it shows a little bit of skin in the game from multiple players. The housing authorities putting money in, uh, the CPCs putting money in, in this case, ARPA funding uh, would be made available. The total project cost is $2.44 million. So this ask was included back when we talked about this in January 24th. Um, Rick Leaf has made many comments and requests and it's been discussed at the um, community preservation uh, committee meetings that this was something that's being requested. The one item that is in the operating budget, in other words, we're not using ARPA funding to expand staffing and services because frankly, that's not sustainable. It would create an unfunded uh, structural, uh, sorry, create a structural deficit. And just like we don't use one-time free cash and one-time revenues into the operating budget, um, unless it's done in a sustainable way, uh, that's why um, we aren't through what's being proposed use for fiscal 2023 ARPA isn't going into the operating budget with the exception of this. And the reason is, and we talked about this in your meeting in December, we normally put $550,000 into our OPEB trust fund every year. We have to make that contribution to lower our unfunded liability. We postponed that for two years. That was one of the quick and easy ways that we dealt with the shortfall that came uh, through our revenues with the pandemic without directly and immediately impacting our services. And you heard me say in, a per in your personal life, it's no different than if you lost your job, first thing you do is stop contributing to your retirement plan. But once you got back on your feet and back on track, you then need to get back contributing to your retirement plan. In this case, we need to get back into the base budget $550,000 for our OPEB trust fund. So in the fiscal 23 budget that we modeled and we showed you the forecast back in December, uh, on December 20th uh, of 2021, we said, if we put it all in this year, it's going to cause a spike in the tax impact. And we're already dealing with a significant tax impact for fiscal 23 because of escalating home values. And so we said, we're going to put $300,000 into the tax base, raise it through taxes, and then use $250,000 in one-time ARPA funding to get us to where we need to be for this year. And then in fiscal 2024, that 250 that you're showing up on this slide here, then would also be put into the tax base and then we'd be back to where we were pre-pandemic. So you postponed making these contributions in order to manage the shortfall in revenues. Now we have the aid and the revenues are returning. We need to get that funding back into the operating budget. And this is how we're, we're saying we can do it. The alternative would be don't use it for this. And we would put the full amount in the tax base and we'd be looking at an even higher, even more significant uh, tax impact on the residents. So we're trying to, again, smooth these out. You postpone it to get through the crisis, and then you have to have a plan for getting it back into the operating budget. That plan, as we outlined back in December, included using ARPA funding to, to smooth the impact as we put it back into the, into the tax base. So that's why that's been included. And again, I go back to the slide where we, what we did to cut 
to get through the pandemic should be the first things that we're restoring uh, in order to in order to make those whole. Because the alternative is, if you don't spend this money on that capital, if you don't use it for this, all those expenses now are going to load forward. If you spend the money on something else, these all load forward. It's all going to land on the tax impact uh, for the residents. These two are two that kind of came in at the 11th hour. And uh, as John Campbell from the Community Preservation Committee mentioned, there's $20,000 currently uh, in one of the articles for the fencing at Acidic Park. And the reason why these two are in here uh, and being uh, uh, suggested for ARPA funding is that uh, both the Acidic Park and the Pickleball Project were in process of being bid out during the pandemic. And they were victims of supply chain shortages and significant cost escalations. And so there wasn't enough funny, money in the project to replace the fencing. And in the pickleball uh, project, there's not enough money for the benches and the gates between all of the uh, courts. So uh, those and a couple of other things that uh, weren't, uh, weren't able to be funded. And so since these two short falls are they don't qualify for inclusion in the capital budget because they're too small um, they're being suggested that they are the direct result of the pandemic that uh, that we can use ARPA funds to make these two projects whole so that they can be done the way they were originally conceived of and again the pricing is through no fault of of the DPW uh, when this was bid out there were a lot of things that were caught in the supply chain um, escalation, and these were two of them. So if this was released, then the uh, warrant article from the CPC for the $20,000 would get deleted. We wouldn't spend time at town meeting talking about this, uh, and it would allow the CPC uh, to have that little bit of extra cushion back into their reserves for other projects that they would rather be spending the money on. So that's where these two projects came from. They're already in the pipeline. They've already been bid out. Uh, the the Acibit Park is under construction and the pickleball is, is, uh, is on its way. And if you're going to, particularly with the pickleball, it's so always more expensive to try to come back and fix these things afterwards, to add benches afterwards, to go in and dig up and put gates in after the fact. So that's why these two are being brought forward. I want to remind folks uh, also in terms of the pandemic response, because you know we you, we talk about how did the town get through the pandemic? You know, FEMA reimbursement covered our vaccination clinics. Uh, we were have been extremely successful in obtaining grants to deal with the pandemic uh, impacts. Uh, three hundred thousand dollars for the next over three years, so that's three hundred thousand each year for the uh, Health uh, Excellence Grant Award. Um, we got uh, two years of $160,000 grant funding for contact tracing. We got $50,000, it's not on this slide, so we just obtained it from the Metro West Health Foundation for uh, test kits for, for the community. Throughout the entire pandemic, uh, all of our uh, task force, including the school department, the family use services, uh, the senior center, we on a weekly basis looked at community needs to make sure that we were meeting the needs for food insecurity, housing, counseling services, outreach, all of that stuff went through uh, the pandemic uh, without a hitch. So, um, so I'm gonna. So in terms of 
the discussion, you had a separate presentation at uh, your last uh, Board of Selectmen meeting where we talked about these, uh, the responses and everything that's been done. And when we met with the uh, COVID task force and we asked what is missing and what in terms of uh, services uh, these various departments would be seeking, that's when we conceived of, and we talked about it on January 24th, and you had a, present, a full presentation on this at your last uh, Board of Selectmen's meeting, is the Be Well Northborough Initiative. And so this is the townwide uh, uh, health um, wellness program that we're being, uh, that's being uh, suggested. So this was a staff-driven initiative. So basically, the department heads got together and they said, rather than us going to the Board of Selectmen, uh, or some other venue and asking for $10,000 here, $15,000 there between the library, the senior center, the board of health, uh, family youth services, the recreation department. They said, let's do a comprehensive coordinated approach uh, uh, to programming uh, to try to jumpstart getting the community out of the pandemic sort of doldrums where people are feeling isolated and, uh, and, um, and really desiring uh, communication and connection. And the other is that we have a great deal of resources that we have available for you know, counseling and outreach and assistance that we provide people. And we wanna make sure that we're doing a good job of marketing those and making sure that they're aware of them. So, um, so the idea is to have this coordinated effort. Uh, these could have just as easily come forward as smaller requests of, of 10 or $15,000 from these half a dozen departments. Instead, working together, they wanted to create a comprehensive program so they get efficiencies and economies and a synergy between all these departments about what type of, of programming. So they're not overlapping uh, programs, they're distinct and they're coordinated and, co and they're gonna be coordinated on a quarterly basis throughout the year. So. The, the figure in for that is $100,000. Um, it, it could be more in the future if this is something that makes sense. And it can be expanded in the future as we hear from residents about other services that they might like to see in terms of health and wellness in the community. This would be the best avenue for that. And you can see on here, they have a designed uh, a logo and some swag that they're uh, ready to purchase and move forward with. Um, but again, in terms of the uh, working group, it's Allie Lane, the rec director, working with the Recreation Commission. It's Eileen Bogle, the senior center director, working with the Council on Aging. Kristen Black, the health agent, working with the Board of Health. Uh, Brian Griffin from the police department. The fire department's also involved in this as well. You have Mary Ellen Duggan, who is the director of wellness for the uh, Northboro Public Schools. She's involved in, uh, in this and the programming aspects. June David Fors is a family services director working with the youth commission for programs as well. Becca Meekins, the assistant town administrator uh, is the liaison with the diversity inclusion committee who's working also already started working with the uh, community affairs. I'm sorry, the, um, the yes, the community affairs uh, committee. And then you have Jen Brunel, the library director who is working with and through the Library uh, uh, Board of Trustees. So we have you know, a half a dozen more or more boards and committees already involved in working in this process. So the staff conceived of this initiative 
uh, and they are working through their uh, respective boards and committees to do a comprehensive um, wellness program for the community. Uh, this was presented to you very well received, I thought, by the board. Um, it also involves through these various boards and committees, for instance, June David Forrest, the family services director, obviously works closely with the food pantry, community meals, the interfaith clergy group. Um, obviously, Mary Ellen uh, works with the PTOs. So all these other groups are being drawn in through these boards and committees for this process. And uh, we have had up uh, for uh, uh, several weeks now a uh, uh, input form. So if people have suggestions about what they'd like to see for programming ideas, uh, you can make those suggestions through the uh, Be Well input form. There is a website. It's linked through the COVID form on the town's, uh, on the town's uh, main page. And uh, people are encouraged to submit suggestions for potential um, funding that they would like to see. So those are the projects that we're conceiving of uh, for this first round of ARPA funding. A good chunk of it is really dealing with uh, the um, cuts, reductions, and maneuvers that we made with the capital and the OPEB trust funds and, and some of the programming that was reduced during, uh, during the pandemic. So those are the things that have been prioritized to be uh, restored. So in terms of the, the presentation tonight, um, the ARPA projects and initiatives uh, seek to restore cuts from the prior fiscal years. That's what we're fixated on initially. Um, using um, dedicated grants and uh, programs that are available. This is why we haven't had to spend a lot of money on the Board of Health pieces, uh, components of uh, response to the pandemic, because we've been able to use CARES Act money. And we've been able to use um, grant funding that's available out there. We are following a GFOA best practices, which again, spread it out, spreading it out over the two fiscal years. There are deadlines. The money has to be committed and expended. Um, but the idea is to, to deal with the lingering issues uh, and shortcomings and cuts that were made during the pandemic. And then the second phase um, in fiscal 2024 would be dealing with, with other uh, uh, potential op options moving forward. Uh, but following GFOA best practice in, in the town policies, we really do not want to be adding in uh, creating new programs and, and adding a staffing that we aren't absolutely positive we're going to be able to sustain in subsequent years because that's a structural deficit. And that's why our town policies specifically limit the amount of one-time revenues going in the operating budget. And then, as I've already said, we have existing long-term strategic plans, the capital improvement plan and the master plan. Uh, and those should be the first things that we're looking at in terms of opportunities to fund and deal with, you know, downtown master plans, sidewalk and walkability. Those are the two things that we're focusing on. So this obligates only the first, uh, the first uh, installment from the, uh, from the um, ARPA funding. So, so again, I'm just going to slot, come back up to this slide here. And so in this first round, these projects here are being funded with free cash through the capital, through the capital budget. They're included in the um, warrant uh, uh, right now. This column are the projects that I just went through and explain how they fit into 
uh, potential ARPA funding and why they have been brought forward for your, uh, for your consideration. So that's what I have. I know the hour is very late, but I'm certainly through the chair, happy to answer any questions. Thank you very much, John. I uh, appreciate the level of detail. Um, obviously, we've had a lot of uh, um, comments, input about the process and, and uh, what we should be doing. Uh, but I think it's uh, certainly very persuasive that our master plan process, you know, coincidentally aligned with the COVID era and in, in many respects uh, was its own extensive public input process to identify what the community wants and what the priorities are um, and to be directing some of this money toward those priorities is answering the request of the community for what they've already said they want to see. So um, very, uh, very persuaded uh, by this presentation uh, for each of the items that, uh, that you touched upon uh, for the underlying uh, justification and uh, background context uh, to explain why uh, this is a good uh, application of this money. Uh, to, to satisfy those. If, if I may, through the chair, one other point I just yeah. wanted to make is that, um, you know, one of the things that's being funded, because we had a placeholder in the capital budget, uh, uh, we didn't know what the master plan implementation committee was going to come forward with, but their top priority was the downtown master plan at $150,000. That could have just as easily been funded with ARPA funding, but because that was included and, and there was a placeholder and it fit, that is uh, included in the capital budget. When that process plays out, I'm going to, I anticipate that there's going to be a number of initiatives and desires that will come out of that relative to the downtown. The second tranche of ARPA funding can in part be used to meet what comes out of that funding process and what comes out of the continued priorities of the downtown master plan. Everything that you heard mentioned during public comment are things that uh, that are included in the master plan and could be um, funded with this uh, with ARPA funding. But again, the purpose, the the reason behind what's being proposed is that it it shouldn't just be a wish list. There needs to be context. There are immediate needs. The comment was made by, by somebody who called in that, you know, these are just typical things that we normally fund. Yes, they are typical things that we normally fund that we were unable to fund because of the pandemic. So we need to get back on track with that, those capital items. And by spending the money on the, uh, on uh, spending some ARPA money on the fire engine, the DEP, and potentially the Proctor roof, what we're doing is we're freeing up capacity and slots in the capital six-year capital plan for the other priorities that are coming through in part from the master plan. So things like other downtown initiatives, sidewalks, complete streets, all of those other things that we, we've heard about. And by the way, somebody mentioned buying electric vehicles. We tried to buy an electric vehicle. We can't. The police chief was authorized in town meeting authorized him to purchase an electric vehicle and the wait is so long on them that we that he he 
could not even do it and went back with a with a traditional vehicle. So these things are nice in theory, but the practicality is with supply chain issues right now, you can't get your hands on an electric vehicle. So that's the state of that. And, and a bit, I don't know if the chief has dropped off the call already, but um, but that's something that we talked about extensively. So that's kind of the rationale. That's how we came with, uh, with the projects and the package that we're showing you this evening. And it's based on the six-year capital improvement plan and the, and the master plan uh, implementation committee's votes. So. Thank you, John. Yes. Uh, comments from the board members? Kristen? Hi, so um, that was Jean Cahill who said that about the electric vehicle. And um, she also said some other things that I hadn't heard before, um, like more solar or um, why are there no items with climate responsive capacity? Um, you know, that kind of idea like hasn't even been discussed. There are so many ideas that haven't been discussed because it's just been one person. And John, you're great at budgets, but you're doing this all by yourself. And everybody's point was other towns have invited public input and the Treasury Department was very specific in stating, I merely, I think, read this, that public input is vital to this process and mm -hmm. that's why the government is giving us this money yet we are not inviting public input at all if we vote for this tonight we are just saying nope you know okay you can use that reasoning that well the public had something to do with the master plan so we are doing what the public wants but that's that's twisting the facts definitely to a large extent now, I'm not saying that if we had um, public input that we wouldn't end up with funding all the same things or, or some of the same things, certainly, because some of them are really great ideas that I personally would love to fund. But it's this idea that, you know, we hardly ever have this many people on our board meetings. We hardly ever get that many emails. People really care about this. And I, for one, am not willing to just say, yeah, sure, we'll do whatever you want and ignore the people who just elected me last spring. I'm not doing that. I'm not okay with that. Just a, just a comment. In terms of this isn't just me. This is done through through the uh, Financial Planning Committee. Appropriations Committee has a hand. Master Plan Implementation Committee. Uh, a number of, uh, of, of, of uh, all the departments have been involved in this as well. But the comment, but the, I think one of the things is there's also a lot of information and process out there that people just aren't aware of. You know, the comment about solar panels. We 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 spent uh, a good deal of time and energy uh, investigating solar panels on all of our buildings. The high school wound up moving forward with their project, and we did not have a viable project on the on the town side for a, a number of reasons. So there's been a lot of work that's done that people just aren't aware of because they're not involved in the in the in the process of of you know the work that the boards and committees do so just just well it was mentioned at at least two previous board meetings that we would in, like to invite the public um because julianne brought it up and at one point she was going to start 
have a motion and I seconded it. And then you told us we didn't need a motion because you would put it on the agenda for the next meeting. Yeah. But what she was trying to get us to talk about was get a public hearing on ARPA funding. And I'm speaking for you, Julianne. Sorry to mansplain your own point. But um, that's not what happened. We got a two-hour presentation from you, which at the end of which I, I was really exhausted. And I just figured we'd, we'd have our own personal input about it later. And that never really happened either, you know, about what we think the ARPA funding should be and which pieces of your proposal seem to be like in my opinion there's some that I definitely 100% agree with and others that I would like to ask a lot more questions about and we've never had that opportunity either until tonight yeah. and it's 11:15 and you know and it's like we have to vote on this now so I think that's another piece of this puzzle is you know a lot of these people are saying we don't need to vote on this tonight this is not a an issue where if we don't vote on it tonight we lose some money or something am i right no, about the only the only hold up is uh like the be well Northborough. they're ready to go they they have vendors lined up and they've got uh, in order to meet deadlines for some of the pro some of the programs they want to do they're looking for a release of money you also have rick leaf's project they're trying to get that into the state uh, i don't set the deadlines for when the state decides to run their grant programs. So, so those are time sensitive potentially, uh, but just two points I'd make. One, the final rules for ARPA didn't get finalized until January 6th. And a lot of work in, in running around that other towns did was completely uh, uh, negated by the fact that the final rules weren't, weren't put together yet. And the other piece that I wanted to, the point that I made is that it's important as staff that we frame these issues up for you. And, and just asking people what they want in a vacuum isn't, isn't, isn't leadership. Leadership is framing, researching and framing these up to a point where then you can take some input. And so if you want to take input and you, you want to fund these or you don't want to fund these projects, uh, at least you understand the priorities from the, the strategic plans that went in behind them the financial planning and the policies that apply to them and the rationale for the implications for any decisions that you make regarding these funds for how the town's financial condition is going to play out in terms of creating structural deficits or any of the other things or creating issues with funding for uh, capital projects and so forth. So you have that now and it's, it's in your hands. Is it necessary to fund this entire package tonight? in order to get the two time sensitive things funded? I No, the board can can do what it likes. Yeah, so maybe we should do that. Maybe we should vote on pieces of it and not the entire two point whatever million dollars all tonight without letting anyone even just say anything other than us. Thank you, Kristen. Uh, Julia? Well, I, I'd like to agree with that idea. I think that um, particularly given the, the late hour, um, we could vote on the, the um, affordable housing. And I, I, would, I would just like to vote on the um, whatever initiatives are already in place. For the Be Well, I'm, I'm 
not comfortable with just voting with just um, voting on a hundred thousand dollars where I really don't know specifically where things are. And John, I think you mentioned that, well, we could, you know, vote on, on, on particular projects as they come along. That's what I would feel more comfortable doing. Um, because as I have said, and I'm, I'm sorry to keep repeating myself. I did. I was disappointed that there was no resident involvement here. And I do understand your point that these, these, the task force does have communication with the town, but I just think that it would have been, um, it would have been better if we had had some community input. So community resident input. So my recommend, my thought is vote on, vote on the affordable housing and whatever projects you have queued up. And um, maybe you have the amounts that they cost. And, uh, you know, like, for example, the the um the the swag and the logo is there a cost for that already yeah again this is it's a half a dozen department heads with their boards and committees all citizens inputting inputting on that between them those those six department heads oversee millions of dollars of of programs the rec director uh, does six five to six hundred thousand dollars of programs on an annual basis. When you really look at it, you're talking about like $10,000, $15,000 between the departments. The concept here and the reason why they brought forward the way they did and, uh, and they sent you, they sent you a, a memo along these lines is that they want to do it as a coordinated effort between the staff and all the departments uh, to and those, all those boards and committees that already exist we have vacancies on the Council on Aging. We have vacancies on the Library Trustees. We have vacancies on, on, on half the committees, if not more. If there's plenty of options for people to be involved. But um, to the whole point of doing it the way that is being proposed, Joanne, is so that it's not done piecemeal. So that it's done holistically and, and efficiently uh, with, uh, with all of those departments working together as one. Um, you know, again, this was their initiative. You know, if if board wants you know every department to come and ask for three thousand dollars or five thousand dollars, that you can do that. It's not gonna it's not gonna be a very efficient or effective way to do it, in my opinion. But uh, other board members, comments, Scott Rogers. Yeah, uh, I like the idea of identifying time critical items that we can vote on tonight and release those funds, uh, especially if we have um, elements that need to be done either due to construction schedules or repair schedules or preparing for uh, the, the making sure we can close out the warrant for town meeting. So if we want to um, you know, go through those items that there is consensus are and move those forward, that'd be great to, to release that and then come back to other items that, that need more discussion. Uh, I do think in, in terms of breaking apart the Bewell North Borough, I, I think we should keep it together because as it is, it'd be too, um, too cumbersome to the departments to have to authorize individual program ideas. We trust them to run their programs as it is, we're just funding them to do more of that and do that in a coordinated manner uh, so that we can have a combined community calendar 
and also have some events that are that are time critical. I'm just putting this slide up so so everyone yep. can see what we're what we're talking about here. So can you if, make it if, bigger? Can you make it even a little bit bigger than that? Do you, is that possible? I know I can see it, but yeah, that's yeah, a little bit bigger is really nice on my eyes. It's just, just trying to keep it all on one screen here. Right. So so the you heard from the superintendent. Uh, they have a they have a um, contractor's line uh, uh, or uh, bid specs ready to roll, uh, and they want to get those repairs going uh, on the roof as soon as possible. So that's one I think is time sensitive. The affordable housing we need to get that grant application in. I think that's time sensitive. Um, the Acibet fence. And the pickleball alternatives; these are projects that are moving forward. Uh, you know, I would ask that those be um, uh, approved. And the Be Well Northboro, um, I don't know if that initiative is even going to fly or move if it's if it if it's not going to get done as a as a as conceived of as a as a whole a project. And frankly, you know, um, the staff really is excited. This is the first time during the pandemic I saw staff get really excited about a new initiative and, and go at it and gung-ho about it. And it, I think it would be unfortunate if that didn't uh, move forward. And then as far as the OPEB, if you guys don't want to put money in the OPEB, that's fine. And the two capital projects, we're trying to create capacity uh, in the budget for other stuff. That stuff can wait. So I would respectfully say the Proctor Roof, the affordable housing, Acibet, Pickleball, and the Be Well, if you're comfortable. And the other ones can wait. Okay. Thanks, John. Yes, sir. Yeah, wait, and, <clears throat> wait until when, John? I don't the know. It's one. up to the board. Um, one, of the, one of the things, I, I just want to share one other thing, and I know it's late, and I know I've talked a lot, but um, one of the conversations I've had with, my, with our DBW director is the fact that all of this infrastructure money is flowing right now. And, and one of the difficulties we're going to have is getting contractors and cost escalation for, um, for oil and related to paving. And that's why uh, the DBW director said, if we can get a, a quick release of money, uh, we can engage right now and lock up our, our paving contractor to start repairing some of the, the road, I mean, the, the sidewalks that need to be fixed. You know, we're all gonna be facing this big crunch. The prices are gonna go up. It's gonna be the engineering firms and the contractors just aren't, they're going to be more difficult to engage them and it's gonna be more expensive. And that was a thought for bringing that one forward as well, so. Yeah, I would like to talk more about these next meeting. Um, after we we conduct our other business, but you know, keep this conversation going, not not kick it sure. months down. Yeah, just keep it keep it rolling. Mm -hmm. But I definitely concur with your priority list, uh, with with what you just uh, listed out, John. In terms of those projects, those were those were the ones that were in my mind as the the most time critical. I, I concur also, except I would feel feel more comfortable. Reducing the $100,000 to $50,000 on be well and um, with with you know there's plenty of money left and if it goes well, then then up it to whatever you know the community wants would $50,000 um, 
be agreeable to the task force, do you think, John? What, what they want to do is, is put together a, a full comprehensive uh, approach and to be able to plan out. And in order to plan, you need to know what you've got to work with the plan. And it is, it's an arbitrary number. It's not tied specifically to every event because they don't know everything that they want to do. But the idea is, again, you know, these are, these are uh, our department heads that are responsible for millions of dollars. And every one of them has, has six-figure program budgets already. And I'd like to think that we would trust the department heads to manage this along with the millions of dollars that they already manage on a day-to-day basis. But if you want to reduce it, you, you can. I just, again, I'm trying to keep um, a staff that's, you know, a little bit beaten down in, 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 through this pandemic and excited about doing some things that are going to be fun for them and fun for the community and breed some life back into this community. And, you know, you just, I wanted to start off on a good foot and let them get going. And uh, it, again, I know $100,000 seems like a lot of money. 4.5 sounds like a lot of money. This is, you know, this is 2% of the budget, 2% on a, on a $70 million budget. It's, you know, this is the, this is the scale that we deal with. Um, but the board can do, again, the board can do as it likes. And let me just chime in here a little bit. Um, and I'm coming from the perspective of late 90s till now having sat on the financial planning committee for 10 years now going on nine years, I guess, for a board of selectmen, seeing the effect of the prior uh, uh, practices that were in place in the early 2000s, leading up to the great recession. Uh, suddenly free cash wasn't materializing. We faced uh, some very significant financial problems at that time, uh, revised our financial policies, uh, our practices, um, particularly with the free cash policy, uh, applying one-time revenues to one-time expenditures, not building in structural deficits to the, to the operational budget, limiting the subsidy of free cash into the operational budget. And those policies have served us extraordinarily well over this last decade, and in particular served us very, very well through the COVID environment where we were able and had the flexibility to manage our budget and get through that with what I would consider to be the smallest possible adverse impact. So having said that, I've been listening tonight to people talk about this ARPA money as like windfall or gift or whatever. It's not. It's not any of that. It's mitigation. And it's mitigation for the impacts we have had or for the backlog that we have for these kinds of projects. These are the expenditures that put us back uh, to the sound financial footing we've had over the last decade. And I'm very strongly going to argue in favor of this, uh, this proposal here in all aspects, exactly for that reason. I understand people want to have public input. I understand people have different ideas about what they think they need. Some of those ideas are lacking in information and understanding about what already has been done. And the thing that we need to do here, perhaps with this first tranche, is ensure that we're on the firmest possible financial footing and we have the reserves in place if needed, if there's 
a follow-on downturn uh, to be able to once again flexibly maneuver and ensure that we have the stability that we require going forward. I don't see this ARPA money as being free money, a windfall, a gift, where all the other aspects of our budget are taken care of magically, and this money is something we go off and do special uh, projects or create trophies to ourselves somewhere in the community that we can point at tangible objects and say, oh, look, I did that. There's some serious financial implications here, and we need to address them. Yeah, Jason, I was I was sensing that the discussions, if we if we try to go through all of them uh, tonight, you know, would be exhausting for folks. I'm right there with you in terms of the importance of these. If we don't vote for all of these tonight, I'll be one to vote for the rest of them, our next meeting. So mm -hmm. I, I'm a hundred percent with what the need is. It just sounds like um, it was sounding to me we needed to bring other folks up to speed. I mean, I've been working on this since mid-September, right? And diligently since December on all these aspects. So I, I guess I've internalized, I know what the need is, but other folks aren't there yet. And so I understand that folks don't have all the information or haven't seen how all these projects come from the residents that are part of the boards, committees and commissions that work with our town departments. So I guess I was, I'm ahead of everybody. Uh, I'm, 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 you know, with, with, with town staff in our department, but I guess everybody else isn't there yet. And so um, a, a vote tonight, if we can get some of the critical items released, great, but then I want to bring these up again in two weeks because we need them all. Okay. Thank you, Scott. Leslie. Okay. Uh, first of all, I feel that um, the B well should be kept at 100. I have no problem with that. Um, and I understand, Jason, what, what you are saying um, for sure. But I think that, you know, as comfortable as some of us might be with these items, we need to recognize the fact that residents do want to be involved and feel that they've been given the opportunity to have some input. So we, we need to, we do need to address that, even though we know what we know. Um, there are a lot of people who want to feel that they've had the chance to put a word in. So I would be comfortable if we do have the quote unquote luxury of time, voting for the things that we feel really need to get voted on now. And then the remaining items uh, discuss at our next meeting, but also allow public comment at that same time under that agenda item so that people don't have to wait for public comment. It doesn't matter whether public comment comes before or after. Um, people can call in during that and give their input in terms of, let's say, the fire engine replacement and things like that. And then we have another discussion. Um, so if we have the luxury of time to, to do that and defer that to the next meeting, I would be in favor of that as long as people realize that they have the opportunity to, to call in at that time. Anything yeah. else, Kristen? Um, yeah, I just add, um, I think that sounds great. And I like uh, what Leslie and Scott said. And um, 
I also think the 100,000 for Bewell is a good amount. Okay. Uh, you know, I'd like to comment on Jason, what you just said, and that's that, um, that we have all the information, but I, I tend to just, I, I, I question, and I have asked many times to have the facilities manager come and talk to us about the, um, the condition of our buildings. And that's a, 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 maybe an option of what we can use ARPA money for, but we have no information about that. The other thing we have no information about is, is, is economic development and how the pandemic affected our small businesses. So, I mean, unless that information is out there somewhere and you could provide it yeah. to us because, um, you know, it, it, these are other aspects of living in this town that are important and that may have really been affected by COVID. But one, one question I do have to ask before we move on is uh, the repairs that are required on the fire engine that needs to be replaced. How much are those repairs? And is that, will that engine last another year or two if we, if we postpone this boat or, you know, do something else? You can, you, the, the fire engine needs to be replaced on a 20 year cycle. So that's how long they last. And so it is, it is approaching that 20 years. It does need about $30,000 uh, worth of repairs, which doesn't make sense to invest in uh, when it was already due up at the end of its useful life. It's like having a car you drive the car for, for typically they last 10, 12 years, if you're like me and you keep it going, but it gets to a point where it's not worth investing. And this, unlike my car, where if I break down, it's fine. Your house is on fire. You don't obviously want a public safety vehicle breaking down. So that fire engine will be replaced. The question is whether or not you pay cash for it and create capacity down the line for other projects to be named uh, or, uh, uh, or in two years, there'll be a, a proposal along with the fire station project at the same time to, to, to replace the engine. Those apparatus are all, they need to replace, be replaced every 20 years. It's just, you know, pushing them a year, uh, a year or two, depending on the nature of them. Yeah, you can, just like your own car, you can put money and it just becomes more risky, uh, you know, whether or not it's going to be reliable when it comes to, you know, public safety equipment, you know, has a known useful life and, you know, you want to replace it. We do that with all of our equipment, but, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a, you know, you know, I can post, you can postpone capital until you can't postpone it anymore it's, and it'll cost you. But so, uh, you know, I'm not telling you the thing isn't, is it can't function, but it's on a 20 year replacement. It's ready to be replaced but it's having some difficulties. Like every car, I've got some, I've got one car I drive for 12 years, never had a problem. I had another one and at nine years, I had to get rid of it because it's falling apart. It's just kind of the nature of it sometimes. So the fire engine will function with, uh, I mean, and you know, when you're looking at an $800,000 vehicle, $30,000 is not that much. So it's not well, but that we're jeopardizing yeah. anything by, by postponing this? Well, yes, you're jeopardizing the reliability of the equipment. You are. You are. I mean, you'll make repairs, but, you know, then you could also, I don't know if the next thing that goes on that thing is going to be $100,000 worth of repairs. It's 20 years old or will be 20 years old. And so it's at the end of its useful life. 
and the and my and, you know anybody who's ever keeps an old car knows you know you, you always keep it just a little too long at least i do and then you know the repairs are, are cost more than the vehicle is worth you know and that's that's the other thing the bottom line is that that, that engine is going to be it's going to go to town meeting for a replacement either as being financed with debt or paying cash for it because it needs to be replaced you know whether or not you choose you know if you push it off or you vote against it for a year or two that's fine but it, it doesn't go away and and if it breaks the cost to to fix it it's just it's just the nature of equipment it's just it, it escalates there's no guarantees so it's not the, the whole idea is like we don't wait for things to break and then say the fire engine's broke guess what you have no choice you have to replace it the idea is we say this is how long it's useful for it goes in the plan and it moves up every year and now it's ready to be replaced and if you choose not to replace it all we can do is tell you the risks are it will break down or that the repairs could be more than the value of the vehicle and you could find yourself throwing good money after bad and then two you two years later after you put tens of thousands of dollars in you're buying a you have to buy a new one anyway so that's so just, is this vehicle um that need badly needs repairs this is offline now it's no. not functioning now no it's uh the it's been reviewed by uh and again the fire chief can speak to this better than i but it's been reviewed by the by the uh mechanic and the pumps and everything have to be certified and basically he's identified this as it needs all new pumps and and work that to the tune of about thirty thousand dollars um so you know it, it's still working now but um again it's like a car an old car that needs a lot of work it will get you to work tomorrow yeah probably but at some point it's it's going to break down and again this is these are public safety vehicles you know they need to be reliable so but again that it's going to be whether or not you choose to pay to use arpa funding and do pay as you go or not is irrelevant from the fact that that vehicle is going to need to be replaced within the next within the next year or so and even if we kept it on schedule and and however we pay for it the, these repairs need to be done immediately is what you're saying uh the repairs will need to be done uh if it's not if it's not replaced in this cycle we'll we'll need to figure out how we're going to do those repairs yeah Well, well, if we let's just say we approve this vehicle tonight, um, mm -hmm. hypothetically, yeah. you could go tomorrow and replace it. No, that's the other issue that we're finding is that the lead time on these vehicles can be well over a year, uh, especially for fire apparatus. Uh, just the, the cruisers and, and the equipment that was authorized at town meeting last year was ordered immediately after town meeting and we still haven't received it. So there's a big backlog. And so that's the other thing is the, the lead time on this stuff is, is, is significant. So, you know, if you wait till the last minute and be like, okay, I'm ready to buy a new car. It might not be a new car that you're going to be able to get or a new engine in anytime soon. So authorizing it earlier, getting it in the pipeline, just, it just, it just smooths everything, ensures that we have the vehicles on hand that we need. So, so we do have to do the repairs now, regardless, because even if we vote on it, it that vehicle might be a year from now. Where it my understanding, and Chief, if you're still awake, I don't want to put him on the spot. You may have dozed off. Not fair. You're gonna make me think all of a sudden. Sorry, 
the, these are repairs that are needed soon. So, so what, what happened is our, our pump technician, every year we have our pump, our pump serviced and tested. A pump technician came in and said, they passed this year. I cannot guarantee the next time you go out to a fire that they won't. So the pump could fail next time we go out. We do not. The problem is, just like with an old house, when you start pulling things apart, when you have a 20-year-old truck and you drop a pump to start replacing it, you go from 20,000 to 30,000 to 35,000 to 40,000 real quick. And once that, once that pump is dro dropped, that truck's out of service. But I, I, I'm, I, I'm still not... We are playing, um, so right now, right now we are playing Russian roulette with a truck, okay? <laughs> en engine one's pump is not working. It's, so we have to repair it anyway, engine, right? No, it is, no, not necessarily today. If we order the truck and we want to take the chance of that truck holding up for a year than what we currently have, I'm, I'm not willing to put $30,000 into a truck that I'm going to replace in two years. Makes no sense at all. It's a waste of taxpayers' money to put $30,000 into a truck we're going to get rid of. Regardless, that truck's going away in shape. Could it take a year? Sure, could, could take a year for us to, go to, to, to get a new one. No question. Could that truck break down tomorrow when it goes to a car tonight? Yeah, it can. No question that could happen. Uh, I just have a really hard time throwing that kind of money into a truck that I'm going to replace. Makes no sense. One of my jobs when I was hired was to be a what was to watch out for the people's money, and that's what I'm trying to do, and that's what I presented to the town administrator. I think I think one of maybe one of the, some of the confusion here is is I don't want people to think that this just came out of nowhere. No, not at all. It, it, it's it's in the plan and was on deck next year to be to be funded next year, no matter what. And so the idea is if we can move it up, then that's eight hundred thousand dollars out of the capital budget next year for other things it it just it it frees up the capacity of the capital plan to do other things like sidewalks and walkability and all the other stuff that we're we're talking about including you know again downtown we're going to have a downtown master plan there's going to be projects and funding requests that are going to come out of that and none of this stuff goes away so the idea is you, you take care of the stuff that you can when you can keeping capacity and space to, to do, to do the other projects that, that come, come down the pike. But this was in the plot. This was in the plan and to be funded. So. Correct. It's nothing new. It's been in the plan for, you know, years since I've been here. Yeah. So, but it doesn't need to be decided tonight. And it doesn't, and if the board doesn't release the money, we'll, 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 it'll get funded through assuming town meeting approves it through debt. That would be, that's the only alternative. Leslie. I think this is a perfect juncture to uh, continue this discussion. <laughs> Next meeting, you know, vote tonight if we feel there's some things that need to be voted on that we all agree that it's, you know, imperative to do. And then this is a great discussion to have when everyone's a little fresher at the next meeting, have people call in if they would like, if they have specific questions so that we can give people better understanding what some of these items are. I think all these comments that everybody's made are very important. It just seems sort of know, productive. It's almost midnight. I mean, I just feel like we should continue this and when everybody's feeling a little bit more vibrant. <laughs> How's that sound? <laughs> and people will be awake and they can call in. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
Yeah. Does anyone want to select a subset of these items to act upon tonight? Oh, I do. Can I pick Kristen? them? All right, I'm going to try and remember what John suggested. And I think it was the Proctor School roof, right? Yep. Affordable housing is time sensitive also. Uh, the $100,000 for that. And then be well, Northboro, because your staff wants to get going. Yep. And then I think you were also just tossing in the Assabet fence and the pickleball al alternates because both of them are. They're not currently, yeah, you they're currently. In we need too. to lock up the contractors on. Right, the, lock up the contractors, right? So it's those. Yep. Five things. Yep. Do we do we have the same consideration regarding contractors, et cetera, with the sidewalk master plan phase one? I know that's a big ticket item, but. It is, but can it wait two weeks so we can ask more questions because it's just a lot of money? Sure. sure. Thanks. Because I have a lot of, I have questions about some of these other things. I agree with that list. I think we should just, we should do a motion. I think that's a, that's. Somebody. Mr. Chair, I've got, I'm ready for a motion. Yeah. Yes, Mr. Scott I'm, Rogers. I move we vote to um, <laughs> release ARPA funding for the following items. Proctor School roof drain repairs for 38,000, affordable housing for 100,000, Assabet fence for 20,000, pickleball alternates for 18,000, and Be Well Northboro for 100,000. Second that motion. Moved by Scott Rogers, seconded by Leslie Rattan. Any further discussion? I'll take that as a no. This is a roll call vote. Kristen Wickstead. Aye. Julian Hirsch. Aye. Scott Rogers. Aye. Leslie Rutan. Aye. And I, Jason Pearl, vote aye. Motion carries unanimously. Thank you. I do appreciate that consideration. Those those do need to move forward. I appreciate that. Thank you. The staff appreciates it. Great. Uh, next item, review and close town meeting draft warrant. John, is there anything in detail that needs to be considered? No. No, I just want you to know that based on your vote tonight, just now, I'm going to, we're going to delete the $20,000 fencing from the warrant. Uh, we are going to, uh, I want to draw your attention, which you already know, there's a citizen's petition that's been added uh, for the Brave, uh, Brave Act. Uh, it doesn't matter if you discuss it or not, it's on there, it has to be on there exactly as it's written legally, so you can mm -hmm. discuss it at a subsequent meeting. Uh, and then the school, the school, Algonquin Regional High School has requested a capital item be placed on there for a boiler replacement that would be shared through the regional school um, agreement. So that will be placed on there as part of the capital budgets. It's not going to be as out of the town's capital budget. It'll be they're proposing this uh, project and then it will be uh, they'll issue debt and it'll just in accordance with the regional agreement flow through our uh, our annual assessment. It won't impact our fiscal 2023 assessment though. Those are the only changes that I'd anticipate. Um, uh, and otherwise, uh, again, tonight, you're closing the warrant. We'll, we'll work with town council, the planning board members to finalize the, the balance of the articles. Yeah, John, you had the uh, combination of 39 and 40 into a single. Yep. Got yep. It. So you're just voting okay. to close the warrant. With that said, do I have a motion? 
Uh, Mr. Chair, I move the board vote to close the April 2022 town meeting warrant um, as described. Welcome. Moved by Scott Rogers, seconded by Leslie Rattan. This is a roll call vote. Kristen Wickstead. Aye. Julianne Hirsch. Aye. Scott Rogers. Aye. Leslie Rattan. Aye. And I, Jason Pro, vote aye. Carries unanimously. The warrant is closed. So, John, would there be any other business to come before this? Just have a <laughs> half an hour presentation I was holding out on for <laughs> the end. Uh, thank you all very much for your diligence and patience, and uh, in my case, lack of patience, perhaps, but uh, appreciate all the work uh, by everyone involved. So, do I have a motion to adjourn? So moved. So moved. Second. Second. <laughs> I had a motion by Kristen Wickstead and I heard a first second, so to speak, by Scott Rogers. This is a roll call vote. Kristen Wickstead. Aye. Julianne Hirsch. Aye. Scott Rogers. Aye. Leslie Rutan. Aye. And I, Jason Pro, vote aye. Meeting is adjourned. Thank you all very much. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. Take care, everyone.